Welcome to episode 160 of the Round Nintendo Podcast. I'm Jason. And I'm Angel. And this episode we're calling, as a question, which I'll proceed to say flatly, remember me. As in the, uh, throw, it's a throwback for those who get, hopefully some of you are out there, but if you recall, Metroid Other M infamously had that guy with the awkward helmet that he raises going, remember me? And we're like, well, Metroid's back. So in honor of our impressions of the appropriately named Metroid Sans Returns, we might as well make a reference to that. That's a long way to go for an episode title explanation, but here we are. And in addition to Metroid Sans Returns impressions, we also are going to be sharing impressions of two Switch Nindies we're checking out, Leishbeer Double Spear Edition and Use Your Words. Plus, we have impressions of the major Super Mario Run update that hit just a couple days ago. Plus, we have tales of uh, Super Nintendo Classic ordering that has more twists and turns than an M. Night Shyamalan movie. Plus, we have stuff about the Switch as well. We're going to say a whole host of game news, so be sure to use the timestamps over at Ramtown.com for really any of the talks in the show. You may want to jump to because um, here's the thing about the Switch. For regular listeners, you may recall that uh, two episodes ago we covered the Nindy Showcase announcement and noted how many games there were. And then last episode we covered the Nintendo Direct and noted how many games there were. And I feel like at least I didn't see the forest through the trees here. I feel like I was so focused on specific things about the Switch. Look at the third-party games. Look at the indie games. That I didn't really notice the the broader picture of, holy crap, this is an insane first year for a Nintendo platform. Like, insane. So I I think what put me on that train of thought was uh, the Switch. There's a recent tidbit from um, an MPD analyst named Matt Piscaletta. I hope I'm saying that right. That sounds better uh, than what I would have said. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, who knows. But he pointed out that the first-year Switch software sales are on pace to be the biggest ever for Nintendo since MPD started tracking in 1995, 22 years ago. That's kind of huge, especially when you take into account how big of a first year that we had back in, like, 06, 07. So, obviously, you know, big games like Zelda, Mario Kart, Splatoon, presumably Mario later this month, they all propelled Switch. But it takes more than just those to hit that sort of goal, to hit that sort of milestone. And that's not even counting digital sales. We're talking strictly physical sales here in the U.S. that are on pace to be the best Nintendo's ever had since the tracking began. So if you couple that with the rate of Switch game releases, that's really when the, oh my god, Switch is doing really well, really kicks in. And uh, I feel like that is kind of the through line of all the Switch news this episode. Because like if you looked this past Thursday alone at the eShop, just this past Thursday, how many games do you think there were that were released? This just, just on Thursday, on eShop, on the Switch alone. More than 10? 18. On one day. Remember in the Wii U days when we got lucky to get one a month? Or maybe five a month? 18 in a day. <laughs> like, that's... How many of them would you say are worth checking out? I mean, it's a huge range, because you have everything from, like, FIFA to One Piece. Uh, you have indie stuff like in, uh, Inversus Deluxe and no, Golf actually, Story. I, I, take, I take that back. Even... I mean, even if, like, five of them are worth checking out, that's still a lot More for one day. Yeah, because, I mean... Yeah. Five games worth getting in one day is... Is a lot. Yeah, and there's and there's stuff that was that came out that didn't even get announced until like the week before, like Butcher, Binaries, also Indies. Nintendo's gonna indie really games. have to rush into those um folders soon. Yeah, yeah. I I wouldn't be surprised if about half the we I mean half the Switch population already has like that second screen 
Which just means you have more than 12 games, which I feel right. most people do at this which, point. Which, at the start of all this... I mean, even Jason might have more than 12 games. I at do, this actually, have yeah. more than 12. Well, some are demos, but I do have more than 12 games. But even at the start of this, what's crazy is, like, in January, if you told me, oh, hey, like, when the Switch presentation was going on in January, the big blowout, if you said, in September, you're going to have more games than you know what to do with, I'd be like, huh, yeah, right. Nope, we, it's September, we have more... Well, now it's October when this goes live, but we have more games than we know what to do with. Like, it's insane how quickly the Switch has, like, escalated. It's actually a very good way to put it. I remember the first few months of the Switch, I was like, all right, cool, this game I was interested in comes out. Buy it, buy it, buy it. I mean, you saw me, I was, like, yeah. buying almost everything. Now there's just so many that I'm all like, oh, it's impossible. Man, I don't want to spend 50 bucks today. On, if you bought on, every on, game... Because like then it's, like, it's almost like a Steam sale every other week. Yeah. And, like, just, like... By sheer quantity of games that you're buying, and then you're like, all right, where do I start? Because I just bought, in theory, like, over 100 hours worth of content, but I'm not going to play 100 hours worth of content right now. I don't have 100 hours to spare right now. Plus, you're easily spending over $100 exactly. to get that 100 hours, which so, is nuts. So, I end up just going like, all right, I guess I'll just hold off a little. But then, when you hold off, they just keep doing this every other week, and now there's, like, maybe, maybe, I don't know, this is more and more games. That... It's, yeah, it's weird on a Nintendo system to have this happen. And the thing is, not even all the games that you can play on Switch are even games that, like, are known on Switch. What I mean is you saw the Iwata thing, right? I don't know if people listening to what I'm talking about, but Nintendo oh, and the firmware that. buried Golf, NES Golf, with motion controls. And the only way to get it is on Iwata's death anniversary, which I think is July 12th or 11th, um, if you do the uh, the Nintendo Direct directly a U gesture that Iwata used to do, the two hands forward with Joy-Cons, you unlock Golf. Now, it's more just like, oh, what a cool little thing they did they did that kind of this reminded me of because we're talking about so many games. But still, it's just like the games just keep stacking. And and that's obviously not a real example, but just kind of a neat Easter egg. Probably the best know, Easter egg in gaming Bull I've ever Boy. seen. And I've been wanting that game since before Bull it came Boy out. Bull Boy is out, yeah. No, that's yeah. I, I still haven't gotten Bull Boy and Garner Kid. Like two games I definitely wanted at one point, but, but now they don't have yeah. for some reason. And and the thing is, it seems like they're all selling decent. Like, it, there's you know, you're gonna buy a game X Y Z, but someone else is gonna buy games X B C A, a B C. Like, yeah. it's it's interesting how people seem to be gravitating. I mean, still interested ones. in Golf Story. Still yeah. want Blaster Master Zero. I mean, just keeps going. I'm even interested in that one game. I think it's called Parasite or Plague or the weird Resident Evil looking one that's like PS One visuals. For some, oh, for some oh, reason it yeah. looks intentionally like it came from a PlayStation 1. Well, we're going to hit the point where retro games, like throwback games, are going to be low polygon and not, like, pixel. That that point is coming. Like, 90s are so in right now. I mean, look at the Super Nintendo frenzy uh, that, that we're going to hit that point. But, but yeah, there's just so many games. Like, the last time I felt, more so than just the games, but the last time I had, like, this realization where it's like, whoa, this is crazy. Nintendo's doing super well. Like, last time I had, like, that holistic view of, like, oh, my God, Nintendo's killing it was probably the Wii. Which, you know, we're, that goes back 11 years now. It's kind of interesting to kind of, like, compare and contrast what we did well and why it fell apart and what Switch seems to be doing differently and the same. But, like, what was your, what was your first year with the Wii? Like, because we barely knew... We knew each other at the tail end of the first year of the Wii, but, like, barely. No, it was 2006. That, it came out 2006, so freshman year of college for us was the Wii, primarily. Played a lot of Call of Duty 3, was it? Really? That was what you did the most on the Wii? I'm surprised. I mean, that was the. I mean, I played some Twilight Princess, but since I mainly watched Elvis play it. Oh, sure. Yeah, that was. But, like, did it. <clears throat> when you. Excuse me, my, my voice is going out. When you, um. I mean. When you had. Was it, like, different than any other. Because, con- like, for me, it felt like it was a much more social machine, just by nature. Like, I had people uh, come over and play it that never cared about playing video games with me before, in college and in high school. I guess. I mean, 
that might have happened, but it felt like it was still the same people I played games with were the ones that had the oh, Wii. Sure. Like, it, it felt because I mean I already had a big group of people I played games with, like even my sister mm-hmm. and stuff. All the, all that really changes is now we had more games to play in a, in a big group. Right. And eventually we got like our Smash Brothers and our Mario Kart, and I mean that was all great. But we did get the amazing, spectacular Mario Super Sluggers. So. Yeah, I mean that was way later. That, that, life, that was yeah. a pretty big game changer. No pun intended. Like. For me, just because I never was into, like, many sports. Even the GameCube one, like, I mean, it was fun, but I didn't really care too much for it. Sure. Strikers is maybe the only one that I really got into on the GameCube and, like, got into it even more on the on the Wii. Strikers was great. I, I love know. Strikers. They really need to bring... They need to bring back Strikers. Ga- I know none of this sports... Uh, I mean, Mario Sports Mix or whatever yeah. just came out on the 3DS. I don't Mario know. Sports, uh, Mario Sports Ultra Fun Time. I don't know what it's called. Yeah. Or maybe that one was called Mario Sports Mix. No, no, Sports right? Mix was on Wii. Yeah, that was like the hockey, basketball. And the one you're something. thinking of was the one with the horse racing. And yeah, Mario Sports something. It had cars. Let's play sports Mario Edition. I don't know, but yeah, the I know your point. Yeah, all the compilations. It'd be nice if they branched them back out into individual games. Yeah, one they're... that means more content for Nintendo to sell, and two that means they can actually do real deep stuff and do another Sluggers or do another Strikers. Yeah, they need to get Camelot whatever. back into this. Or well, Cam- yeah, Camelot's still doing tennis and golf, but it's the other. They need to get Namco Bandai back into this because yeah, golf... they did uh, they did Sluggers, and then they need to go get Next Level Games back into this because they did Strikers. Actually, yeah, and I think you know I kind of want to take that back almost because the last tennis attempt was very underwhelming yeah power tennis on a yeah i mean they, they literally um, yeah, we they literally admitted to it being like a tech demo that they're like you know what let's just turn it into a game and then well it would we i mean wii u was a weird to kind of divert from the whole wii switch comparison wii u was a weird thing in that it was they were really to the point that there's so many games now they were really trying hard to put the, anything on there yeah. anything so if they could up res the 3ds one and throw it on there that's good enough the, yeah they but, only a campaign but they didn't mode. even just do that like they downplayed it like the 3ds one was great i actually really liked the yeah. 3ds one but martin's open yeah 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 did they take out it online power tennis yeah like... or no power tennis was the gamecube one what was the ultra smash ultra smash yeah it, all it you had was the group big <laughs> yeah that that was literally i remember i played at e3 and, and i it, was killing it and at the, the demo at e3 but then i saw the final game like this is literally just yeah, an e3 demo yeah, but in a box yeah worst There's part about different. it like way less characters and no stages besides standard tennis courts they which they just reskinned in different colors yeah yeah so yeah well not just different cars different surfaces but still there's no like crazy bowser stage but but that's that's like the standard for tennis game every mario tennis game had different surfaces you have your clay your not clay your green clay or whatever yeah but yeah there are two yeah the 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 not clay bring back sports seriously in town but i guess that was something that the Wii mario sports i mean i know know we just got fifa and apparently can't play with friends which is really weird well oh we'll get to that trust me but um yeah i i It'd be nice to see Mario Sports again. And the Wii did that really well, and the Switch has the potential to do that really well. But to kind of bring it back to the Wii Switch thing, just because I did have a thought on that, it's just interesting in that... I mean, so for me, the first year of Wii, I was kind of starting to say, was very... um, It became a lot more like social gaming than I was used to. Like, you know, I had a couple friends I played GameCube with. That was it. But the Wii, like, people were like, hey, let's have, like, a Wii part. Like, like, I had, like, groups of people come and check it out. Kind of like we have now with the Switch here at your place where we have, like, a whole gang of rotating people that come in and out and play Switch with us. Like, that's sort of, like, social gaming. And granted, part of that was in college where, you know, the dorm door is always open. People just walk by and play. But, like, Wii Sports was a thing for a minute. I mean, I feel uh, if anything... Wii Play was a thing. WarioWare was for sure a thing. That first year was just, like, a lot of that. I mean, I feel if anything, Wii Sports or the Wii got my parents more involved when they were playing games yeah. if anything 
Because, I mean, even in the dorm room, when people had a door open and they were playing a game, it was usually like Smash Brothers on the GameCube or Smash Brothers on the Wii that got us to go in mm-hmm. or that got people to come in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Smash for sure was bigger, but that, you know, a few years down the road. I think what, what's funny is like the Wii, it stars like all the social games and it kind of distilled into very finite categories of games over the years. You had like the Nintendo First Party. So, you know, it could be a real serious game like Zelda, it could be Mario Galaxy, it could be Smash, it could be Mario Kart, it could be Wii Sports. But you had that bucket, they had a bucket of like motion control reliant games that were like for the first couple of years like oh check this out i'm playing like you know bully but i'm shoving the guy with my hands or i'm playing rockstar tail tennis and hitting the ping pong ball with my actual ping pong motion Ooh, like they had that for a while and then there were casual games of course like the boom blocks and all that of the world um but with switch what i think is kind of different if you look at the first years side by side is like switch every type of game seems to be doing well major third-party releases indie games whatever in between it's not limited to like a certain like casual friendly or multiplayer first lots of them are multiplayer but they're not that sort of finite like oh it's a motion controlled casual thing it's like you can have you know street fighter on switch for example that thing was pretty bare bones right it's infamously bare bones it's street ultra street fighter 2 20 year old game they added a joy con mode no one uses and yet even at being sold at full $40 MSRP, that thing had a bigger debut in May in the UK, bigger debut weekend, than the just-released entirely new fighting game of Marvel vs. Capcom Infinite this past weekend, or a couple weekends ago. A 20-year-old port did better than the one Capcom actually put effort into because it's on Switch. Then a game that a lot of people were really anticipating because of Marvel vs. Capcom 3 doing so well. Yeah. Oh, and then the whole... I mean, granted... We lost the license, and then... Yeah, and then they got back... And granted, Infinite has issues. The graphics oh, yeah. are not uh, up to snuff. Uh, there's, there's issues. Yeah, no, before the game came out, a lot of people, including me and those, were just like, uh, we just don't care anymore. Yeah. I but mean, we don't have it. Like, that says a lot because yeah. you guys are fine game aficionados. But my, but the fact that like Capcom could put all this money and time into a game that may be under-delivered on what its promise is, and then I mean, have it still someone... be outsold by a 20-year-old port that they're oh, charging for yeah, on the SRP port is nuts. Nut. That's the power of the Switch. Yeah, and honestly, I don't even think it was so much the graphics, just the character selection. Yeah, well, they went really Marvel uh, Cinematic Universe. Oh, yeah, it. but yeah. even then, like, there's just... There's so many characters that they just... You could just tell they're just reskinning characters from Marvel's Capcom 3. Yeah. Like, it is a half-ass effort. No yeah, fact. they're like, oh, let's bring in Frank West. Like, I don't think he was ever really that popular. Well, Dead Rising was a big series for a minute. Yeah, it there. was, yeah, but yeah. still, like, there's there's just a lot of, like, questionable choices. Like, they didn't have to bring back, um... What's his name? Nemesis mm. or Chris Redfield, especially if they have new Resident Evil characters. Right. I mean, could have done the revelations. Yeah, it definitely new character and it, have it tie yeah, into that. It, it definitely hurt more on the Marvel side because I mean, a lot of people really wanted their Magneto or Wolverine yeah. and stuff like that. I mean, I lost Phoenix right. Like, oh, they're like one of my big out for Phoenix. And then I'm like, oh well, they're gonna have a Monster Hunter character. Oh, they're DLC, so it's yeah. not like yeah. they're already in the game. But but it still just to me blows my mind that even though you can nitpick certain things aren't game, there. The they, fact that I got yeah. beat out by a 20-year-old game. Well, yeah, just, a, a game what? that regardless still had a huge budget compared yeah, to Yeah, and had like a huge this. amount of <laughs> marketing around it. And like Street Fighter, they kind of just pushed out there and it yeah. still did really well. Or like even sports. Let's take sports, for example. On the Wii, sports games did well when they were dumbed-down, motion-control heavy ones. Like the Madden series for two or three years did surprisingly well on Wii because they did this whole like, it's motion-based, the game's totally reworked for motion, it's great, whatever, and then sort of fizzled out. On Switch... NBA 2K18 fully featured game fully featured sports games every every little detail some work better than others it has some issues whatever number one game on the eShop the week, the week it came out that's uncommon on a Nintendo system huh. so like Switch it, it seems like even 
you know, whatever it is, it seems to do well on Switch. I mean, obviously, in the realm of traditional Nintendo console fare, games on, are selling really well re- and really fast on Switch. Like Mario and Rabbids, Kingdom Battle, for example. Um, already the top-selling third-party game on Switch based on just U.S. and Australian sales. Uh, now, granted, it has Mario. Obviously, that's going to help it to some extent. But nonetheless, hitting that milestone of top-selling third-party game ever on Switch in less than a month, when Super Bomberman R in six months hit half a million and has now been beaten in less than a month by Mario and Rabbids, that, that says something. Like there, There's obviously like an appetite for this stuff. And it's not just like the stuff that has Mario in it. SteamWorld Dig 2, been out for, what, a week maybe? Already um, the fastest... Uh, strongest debut, fastest selling Steam World dig or Steam World game, period, and they made back almost their entire budget already. Yeah, that's also pretty cool. Yeah, or like even Nintendo's own games, Splatoon Two in Japan, eighty percent of Switch owners now own Splatoon Two. That attach rate is rivaling the global attach rate of Zelda. Zelda's been out since March. Splatoon's been out since July. It's like people are picking up games at a very fast rate, regardless of what the game is, which is kind of cool to see. And I'd argue that's kind of what separates. Like the Switch's success now, from what we saw with Wii, which is the last time they had this level of success, you know, a decade ago, and that's like, it's just there's more variety. If you look at Wii as a comparison, like it was able to sustain itself for a number of years on that mix of casual games, motion games, and Nintendo's own games, but ultimately everything else fades, fell to the wayside, and then even the casual games bottomed out. Like I mentioned, Boom Boom Blocks a minute ago, the original Boom Blocks by EA in 2008 sold over a million copies. Boomblocks 2 came out a year later, pretty much bombed. Like the bomb fell out <laughs> on the car on the casual market. It. Yeah, it's just like Boomblocks. Boomblocks. Bo- oh yeah, Boomblocks Bash Party was its full name. If you want to figure out a secondary pun, you can run with. Was the Spielberg still attached to that one? Uh, yes, I think so, but less so because you know yeah. he just came up with the concept. That's such a weird crossover. Like Steven Spielberg's making a motion game. What is it? Oh, you throw balls at blocks. <laughs> Great yeah. work, Steven. <laughs> it was a really fun game, the original. I remember a friend had it, but it's just like, I don't understand why Steven Spielberg's involved in this. <laughs> I'm so proud of There's this. no storytelling. There's no, um, like, little alien that rides a bike and saves children. There's nothing. I don't, there's no dinosaurs. I don't know why why he did it. But anyway, um, yeah, so, like, my, my point with Boom Blocks was, it, you know, these games on Wii did well to a point and then didn't because the Wii had this weird trade-off. Like, the Wii... And I think this is ultimately what hurt it was you get motion control in lieu of high performance and high specs on your console. If you want a game that matches what the other guys have on the market, go buy it on the other system. Because on Wii, unless you really like motion control, you are not getting a similar enough experience. Like, if you like motion control on Madden, you're set. There are three great Maddens on Switch, that, or I mean Wii, that really did motion t- really well. If you don't care about motion, you are getting an inferior Madden, and why would you ever buy it? And that's slowly what took over the Wii's like story and became kind of the death of the Wii in a way. Switch, on the other hand, the compromise is so different. So I think the success we're seeing now is going to continue for a long time because the compromise on Switch is just it's just not as gimmicky. And I don't mean gimmick in a bad way. Like motion control on Wii was pretty revolutionary at the time. It was really cool at the time. But like, come on, were there times when you were playing a motion control game and you're just like, you know, I kind of wish I could just press a button. Because I certainly had that on some games. Some of them work fine, like waggling to make Mario spin in Galaxy, whatever. But like there I can't were times. Think of one off the top of my head that forced me to do something with motion. I feel like Skyward Sword. I hate to say it. I love Skyward Sword, but there were times I'd be like, "Oh, I need to stand up and make a rolling motion just to throw a bomb. Can I please just like press a button?" I mean, you could like, have done that without standing up. It's some sort of. It depended. It. I had issues sometimes where I actually had to stand up and do kind of a carving motion, like I was scooping ice cream from my waistline or something. Like it was. Huh. It was better. It wasn't horrible, but 
I don't know. I just think like there were definitely times with motion control where it's kind of can I just press something. Like I, I get it. It's cool. You can waggle, but can I just press something? So or like even Mario Kart, for example. Like you could play with the Wii wheel, but how'd you play Mario Kart Wii? Mario Kart Wii with a GameCube controller? Exactly. Just because motion control has its limitations because it's more precise and more comfortable, right? Uh, yeah, but I mean, I've raced against people that like could. Oh yeah, you could can destroy get, me with. You can get motion. good with it, but my point is, I mean, I didn't pick it because it felt worse. I just picked it because you were more comfortable with the, it. It's just the same reason a lot of people still stick with the Giga controller for Smash Brothers. It's like why change if the options there? If yeah. there wasn't an option to play with not motion control the Mario Kart, then I would have just learned it and I probably would have been fine with it. But that that's kind of my point is like when your whole trade off is you got to get used to motion control or just not play it. It seems like as the Wii demonstrate, people just didn't play it as much i mean all the motion games kind of bombed out after a few years that's kind of what i'm getting at but switch the compromise is different because switch it's not about the motion control being the trade-off for the low power with switch it's about the portability being the trade-off for low power there's no gimmick here it's just like the thing you like over there can now be played over here or over there or behind me or over you know like it's the gimmick is not there as yeah, much i mean Let's go for a lot of people because I say the majority value portability. But what if yeah. you don't like really don't care about portability? Well, you still get the uh, the incentive. Then well, are, that's true. Then are you getting it just an underpowered console? But then what necessarily are you buying the Switch for? I mean, what if you just want like some of the games? Like, what if you just want like games on it? You, you love Mario, but it if anything, it sounds like you're kind of in a GameCube situation again. Like you're going to sure. be stuck with first party games, but you can't get some of the other third party games that you want because they just don't want to put it on the on the Switch. That's true, but so far we haven't necessarily seen that happen. Like Red Dead Redemption Two, or well, just yeah. about any game that has come out like in the last few years. Yeah, that's true. I think I think the difference there, I and mean, we're still is... getting a lot of games that the Switch isn't getting, or that, yeah, yeah. Well, I think I think it's different in that you people have are just situation... getting so many good games on the Switch that they don't seem to. Yeah, care. the the fact is there. Yeah, exactly. There's so many games that are coming to Switch that kind of is burying the ones you're not getting. While on Wii, eventually the market dried up. Or on GameCube, there was no market to dry up. Or on Wii U, there was literally nothing that never could dry up either. But on Switch, we actually have a steady drumbeat of games that's coming really, really fast. And there's actually big third-party games coming, ones you wouldn't expect, like Doom. And it's kind of negating this, like, oh, but I don't have Red Dead. It's like, yeah, but you have, like, seven of these games and, like, six of these other games. And you got Doom and you got L.A. Yeah. Noir. And the nice thing is that... I mean, I would say, I mean, obviously it doesn't affect everyone, but a lot of people do have computers, so, and some of them have powerful enough computers to run games, so most of those third-party games are also available on computer. Yeah, they have I mean, if they're on PS4 and PS and Xbox One, they are most likely also on PC. Yeah. And alternatively, some people do have either a PS4 and a Switch or an Xbox One and a Switch, but usually right. not an Xbox One Which is, one again, which is actually what the Wii, the thing with the Wii, remember yeah. when Microsoft yeah, was with the Wii 60? Yeah, with always a companion console. Yeah, and Switch is kind of that. The only difference is I don't think it's going to bomb out in the same way as Wii, which is kind of the whole reason I'm making this comparison, because saying, play this anywhere, or saying, you want to play multiplayer? Cool, just pop off half your system and hand it to someone is a lot more of like a deep-rooted reason to own the console and a reason to play these games on that console than just like hey you can throw the football by making a football motion with your hand you know what I mean like that yeah. that's I think what's different so I think what that means is Switch overall is going to do a lot better than we did which is funny because I remember when the Switch was first announced and it sounds like we want to sell Wii numbers and I distinctly remember saying yeah right if anything they'll sell 3DS numbers but then I'm seeing you know this kind of like 
holy crap moment I had with the the switch in these last couple weeks. It's like wow, there's a lot of games. The system's selling like crazy. There's a chance it could do Wii numbers or better. I mean, there's a brokerage firm called a Credit Suite Suisse 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 what S U I S S E. They're like a big analytics like a firm. I think Suisse Suisse yeah Suisse Suisse Suisse. But they whatever their name is. Their job is to rate stocks and do predictions of how companies will do and that sort of thing. And they just raised their forecast of overall Switch sales by 2022 from an estimated 70 million, which is 3DS territory, to 130 million, which blows past Wii territory and goes straight into crazy DS number territory. The DS sat like 152 or something. So, like, it's not, I'm not just like, oh, I think it's going to do great because it's doing great right now. Like, people that like calculate these things and know these things think this, this is a, a thing so to speak like this is really a moment for nintendo so it's kind of it's kind of cool to see and i think i think the compromise just is a better value proposition to people more people are comfortable giving up the extra power if it means they can you know play doom on the go like case in point doom Let, let's talk about doom for a minute last episode okay okay last episode we were speculating that the game how about how the game was going to run you know could it handle 60 frames per second could it handle 1080p of course the answer is no and no it turns out the game is 30 frames per second at 720p which you know the other console versions are 1080p at 60 frames but like those other console versions can't be played everywhere the value proposition here is the idea of a portable doom which is way more appealing to people i'd say than like Here's Doom with motion-controlled aiming, which, for the record, they're not doing because no one cares. Like, not again, not to diss motion control. It was great, but, like, that doesn't guarantee longevity in the way that just, like, the things you want, where you want them, when you want them, with another friend if you hand them a controller can, you know, it's a much easier sell that way. So, I mean, I don't know. I personally don't mind 30 frames at 720. Like, I don't even notice frame rates unless they really chug, and I mean chug, like, breath of the wild back at launch before the patch came out where like you're walking in the grass and the grass just like stops moving i mean that's when you're like that when it's like two frames per second yeah well yeah especially if you're going from i mean from smooth when, to when, not, yeah when yeah. it's interrupting it yeah you definitely notice and i definitely only really notice whenever i'm changing games that have different frame rates like during those few like when i mentioned that i'm playing mario Kart in single player and it's 60 frames per second oh, then yeah. i go to multiplayer and, and then it it's drops. 30 and I'm like, oh man, that's that's pretty bad. But then after the second or third race, I completely forget that it's yeah, that and frame like rate. exactly, and like Doom, I've been watching these videos of it being played, like uh, off-screen videos of it being played on the Switch portable mode. It looks good. I don't have a point of comparison. I've never, to be honest, I've never played Doom on PS4 or Xbox One. I don't have a PS4 or Xbox One, but it looked great on the Switch handle. Like I'm totally fine with that, and I don't know. Judging on just what I read online, it seems like a lot of people are cool with that compromise of, okay, it's a little slower, it's a little less crisp, but I'm playing Doom literally everywhere I want. Like, that just sounds like such a better deal. Yeah, and honestly, the details you're missing don't even really matter much. Yeah, the side-by-side, or like, look at the side-by-side of NBA 2K18. I think you mentioned this last episode. Like, it's not really noticeable. Like, there is a difference. But the, like the players don't look all that. It literally has to be side by side. Yeah, to really point it out. Yeah, so like it, the switch is certainly capable, and I think I think it's just a matter now of third parties figuring out exactly how to fine tune the compromise. Like, what is the right compromise on Switch? Because on on Wii, it was very clearly, you know, dumb it down graphically, but hey, you have motion. Okay, done. But on Switch, it's like, well, where where's the line drawn? Like, how much can you take away? How much can you leave before people get upset or are happy or whatever? And perhaps the best example of that. 
is FIFA 18, which you brought up as having no multiplayer, which it which is true. Now, to EA's credit, what they multiplayer had or no online that? multiplayer with friends. Yeah, yeah. two. You, thank you. That would have been really bad. Yeah. So if you want to play FIFA 18 on the <laughs> multiplayer Switch, um, you can't. No, but it's uh online multiplayer. Like to EA's credit, vast majority of FIFA is in FIFA 18 on Switch. Like there are occasional cut corners. The crowd's quieter. There's no camera flashes in the crowd. Uh, I mean, it is being built on the ground up, from the ground up on their own engine, and no matter how questionable you may find it, they didn't retrofit retrofit Frostbite. I mean, we've said on the show before we think that was kind of a weird move. You gotta admit, like, it's impressive that they got the game running in its own independent engine and everything. But then they did weird stuff. Then things started getting weird. Then the compromises became perhaps too much. There's no transfer negotiations or release clauses if you do career mode, which seems critical. If you're doing career mode that you want to be able to, like, change out players or move players around and there are ways that you do that are just outright missing you're missing certain team formations you just can't do a couple team formations in the game you can do it on xbox you can do it on playstation i don't know i can't do it on switch uh entire modes are gone obviously the like uh, i forgot what it's called like the my ultra career some super my, my ultimate manager or something something like that is totally missing which they were very upfront about but then little things like weekend league and uh i can't remember the other one but there's a couple other modes they're like smaller deal things but they're gone as well just without any explanation and of course the most egregious you cannot play online with friends why i don't know the only thing i could think of is uh ea relies on system level invite systems for friends online like playstation xbox you do it through the system on switch you do it game by game ea just didn't build an invite system Hmm. could they patch that in sure but why would you not put it there why would you limit online play to just strangers maybe it will be something that will work with the nintendo online app perhaps but they'll still need a patch in for that i guess well yeah but they need a solution now because it's september nintendo online's not coming out till 2018 it's the crucial holiday know, period like, that was supposed to come out during the summer i know yeah fun times uh well no only the beta was in the summer the real one was in the at fall. one point wasn't it in the fall out? the fall well regardless yeah well at one point it made it sound like it was gonna be launch day with the Switch in March. Wouldn't that have been fun? Could you imagine if Nintendo actually launched an online service with their console on day one? Man, we can dream big, can't we? <laughs> but, well, I mean, at least people can still get to play online for free. Honestly, the longer they push it, the more people are going to forget that they have to pay for it. Then at one point, they're going to be, oh, wait, we actually have to get a subscription? Uh, you mean this wasn't yeah. free? I mean, they put that little... I don't dis- even play online that much, come to think of it. They put that little disclaimer at the bottom yeah. of every online anything. Like, you're going to pay in 2018, just, just so you know. But nah, yeah, people yeah. are going to forget. It's going to be bad. But... But in the case of FIFA, like it's a dumb move to not have anything right now. And I mean, they could patch it at any time. That that's easy enough. But some of the other omissions are a bit more concerning. I would say for like a hardcore FIFA player, like here's the compromise issue again. Because if you're a diehard FIFA guy and you want everything, do you get on Switch and lose some of that, but gain portability and gain the ability to just hand a Joy-Con to your friend and play FIFA literally anywhere, anytime with anyone? Is that a trade-off that you find worthwhile? It's kind of this weird bouncing. I mean, act. if you're a hardcore FIFA fan, I would say it's not. Probably. Definitely not. But then, like, what draws the line? It gets weird. Like, how does EA know where to draw the line? It's well, a weird. I mean, if you're thing. a person that's been playing every FIFA every year, and a lot of people do. I mean, yeah, oh, pretty, yeah. It's the it, biggest it, yeah. sports game in the world. Exactly. I don't see it being a fair compromise. I would see just like, yeah, just right. don't get the. But if this is your first FIFA, or you don't really care that much, I mean, why not? Yeah. I mean, all you really need is just the core. 2v2 i mean it's like it'd be like a smash brothers like the next one cut a bunch of those extra modes that i never played like is, yeah. is regular fighting still there all right cool whatever i don't even mind if that's just the game 
And that and that is where things start skirting a little too close to what the Wii had because Madden on Wii was like, hey, we got core football here with motion control. Is that good enough for you? No. Okay. Yes. Cool. But with Madden, motion control stopped being good enough for people. They want more, and then the more wasn't there. So with FIFA, it's like, well, are people get it over. Let's say they do two more. Will people get over it? Will they not? It's it's weird. It's like it's definitely like this strange little dance that third parties have to do for a while. Because um, they need, you know, they need to figure out exactly where the line is, and I think we're going to see games sort Our of jump all over. Support it. What the engine we built just couldn't support it. Yeah, that's that's another weird one. <laughs> well, I don't like, know. I mean, no, they'll say that. Just no, yeah. I mean, EA had a weird con where like it was really hard developing for Switch. No one else in the world has said that publicly. Like every other company's like, it's the easiest system I've ever developed for. Like. Yeah, they've had a game up and running like in a few weeks. Yeah, or something like that. and Image and Form actually went on record like we love it because it's like Steam where you make one version and it goes worldwide and it's super easy. That's part of the reason we're seeing so many games is you don't have to make region specific games anymore. Nintendo lets you do one and done, and combine that with the easy dev tools with Unity and with you know all the other stuff Nintendo has, uh, Unreal and all that. And it seems like EA is just digging themselves in a hole here. So I don't know if it's an excuse to get out or not, but you know. It's going to be an interesting act to see, or an interesting thing to see how third parties act in terms of finding this balance. And what will be particularly interesting, I think, at least in my mind, is how the Switch community is going to embrace those games or not embrace those games. Because Switch owners are a rather vocal and fickle group, it seems like. I mean, look no further than how every single indie dev is now getting those real-time reviews of whether their Switch home screen icon is good enough or not. Now, no, I, I love that tweet by Image Informer that like, oh, almost time. And everyone's like, what's that icon? Oh, that better not be the icon. Yeah, yeah. Well, do you remember when Snake uh, Pass changed? Were they upset or something? No, Image Informer sort of laughed about it and then fixed the icon. I know. Well, I saw someone was like, like oh, like, there were some people that were like, wait, why don't they care that the game is coming out? Why are they talking about the icon? Remember in March, or was it April, when Snake Pass changed its icon and I vented on the show about how every icon should have the logo in it and you called me crazy? You're like, this is the, and you're like, I don't, like, what's the big deal? I mean, deal? I don't think you are. Right. But, but you know what? Me and a bunch of other people are crazy enough that there's a whole article on Kotaku about the crazy Switch fans who want their icons to look good and now games are changing them left and right. Like, we got uh, Snake Pass fixing it finally. Obviously, Steam World Two just did. I know they're like oh, Lego Worlds, a major third party. They sound so reluctant. Like, well, I mean, it's not going to be uniform anymore, but we'll do it because that's what people. Yeah, want. yeah. I think that was um, Snake Pass. Yeah, it was Snake Pass. And there's another game that did that too. What was it? Uh, Kingdom New Lands, which is like a little indie game that's been out for a while on Switch. But that yeah. one, like, like, but we have the crown. They, their icon was just a crown. Like, yeah. we have the crown on everything, guys. <laughs> but we'll go ahead and switch it for you. <laughs> but yeah, so everyone's are, doing the, it. Are now. Jackbox also doing it? Because they just I have like know. a stack of games. And what about um? Jackbox hasn't said, uh, Mr. Shifty hasn't said, uh, Tomorrow Corp hasn't said about Little Inferno or Human Resource yeah. Machine. So there's still some outliers Human that Resource need to get Machine with the program. Was still fine. Oh, no, it's just a little dude. Yeah. yeah. And World of Goo is also just a little dude. Yeah. So there's still some <laughs> that need to get with the program. But my point is we have this sort of almost like call and response situation where like Switch fans are being very vocal about something and then developers are actually listening. Which gives me hope, and I'm and not and, you know not just little developers, major ones. The fact that WB Games changed the Lego World icon again. That's on I a mean, physical to be cartridge. Fair, that's the only one that I feel was the most. Oh, well, that one was bad. Or that, you, you, yeah, that one yeah. was just straight up bad. Like, like, like the other ones were like, I mean, I could live with them. I mean, I could live with all of them. But that one was just straight up like I don't even know what game that is. It was supposed to be like Minecraft. So, so for those who haven't seen it, because it was very brief before they changed it, what we're talking about is um the icon is Lego bricks forming a riverbank. So there's some grass and some water. It's just like blue pixels and green pixels. And that's about it. 
No one really knew what it was. <laughs> so yeah, they changed it. But the fact that they're listening says a lot, I think. Like, and and, and I think um, besides just me going, "Look, I'm not crazy. See, I'm not crazy." The reason I actually brought it up is it demonstrates there's this like passion and vocalness of the Switch fan base, and companies are listening, and that's a good thing. And it sort of translates yeah, I mean, into not icons, just... I mean, these icons are so big, you don't want it to look like a giant app store. Right, which is what Sonic Mania currently looks like, by the way, Sega. Just so you know, Sega. That's why they didn't buy it. <laughs> you know, oh, yeah, that's right, you didn't buy it. Well, I bought it, and I'm part of the problem because I'm still supporting it indirectly. And I just put out that patch for the home screen, uh, the home button glitch. Yeah. You'd think they could change the icon then, but no. But no, the, um, the other thing about the fandom is so they're vocal about things that are wrong, but they're also very vocal about what things are right. Like, all that buzz when Zelda came out, all that buzz when Splatoon came out, we're seeing it with indie games, too. Like, well, okay, Sonic Mania's not an indie game, but Sonic Mania had a huge, like, groundswell among Switch owners where everyone was talking about, oh, do you have Sonic Mania? Did you play Sonic Mania? And then, like, just this past week, Golf Story. I feel like every Switch owner is talking about, or not every, but there's a huge conversation among Switch owners about Golf Story, this game that basically came out of nowhere. I mean, we got like two trailers. We never saw any real gameplay. We had no idea what but the gameplay was, was. and everyone's super hyped about it. And it's now number one on the eShop as of this recording. This little indie game, and it's doing great. And the fact that there's like this communal Switch world, not just online. Like anecdotally, people I know that own Switches have talked to me about Sonic, have talked to me about Golf Story, have talked also to me about all stuff. I think just the fact that Minecraft isn't like eternally, like perpetually number one, like we thought it was going to be, and it's yeah. always some bunch of other games. If anything, I think it's like a number five or six or even lower. Yeah. Like, says a lot about how many games people are buying. That That's kind of the thing. And it's because of this kind of communal groundswell of interest and activity. And I think when they're not complaining about icons and actually talk about games a good way, you can get really constructive feedback on finding that compromise line for third-party games. Like, what's too much? What's too low? What's the right amount? to Like, portable versus features. Which gives me a lot of hope for the future of uh, Switch third-party. Because if people are having these conversations and, you know games are being raised to number one off these conversations. The fact that Minecraft's number six, like you said, speaks volumes. Yeah, that, that says a lot to me. And and to be fair, not every single game needs a compromise. There are some that are doing great without it, or will be doing great, or seem to do to do great in the future when they come out. Rockstar, for example, LA Noir, 1080p on, on uh, your TV, 720p when you take it out of the dock, has extra features, nothing's removed, nothing's changed. Two Tribes just went on record the other day that Rive, which has been on Wii U and on other systems, coming to Switch. And it runs smoother on Switch in 1080p than it does on PS4 in 1080p. So, not every <laughs> single Gesundheit. Gesundheit. No. Two more, usually. No? I'm done. Okay. Only two. Wow. Anyway. Yeah, Rive like, is better on Switch than other systems. It's not like everyone needs compromising. But at the end of the day, I suspect if major multi-platform releases are going to come to Switch, or you know, if Red Dead Redemption 2 ever comes to Switch, obviously that's going to need compromises. And either, even some like older ones probably will, like uh, Grand Theft Auto 5. There's a rumor right now that Rockstar may be bringing over Grand Theft Auto 5 to Switch. Well, that game was on PS3 and Xbox, and Xbox One or 360. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> Xbox One. It is currently on Xbox One. But yeah, the, the person who first leaked uh, that LA Noir was coming to Switch months before it was announced was asked about what about Grand Theft Auto 5 and his response was patience now I don't know if that means Rockstar's already working on it if they're just open to the idea if they see how LA Noir performs and decides from there or what who knows but it suggests there's a conversation happening and this is the type of game where it's like won't require too many compromises but will probably need a little because I mean the fact is it's a huge game 
like it, you point out it could run on the last gen systems but like think about like gta online that whole component that ever-growing component the thing that's helping the game continue to sell insanely well like that is pretty resource heavy i'd imagine and that on some level might require some compromises but hey you could get gta 5 on switch and the demand will probably be there i mean the game last month was number two on the sales chart and it's been out how many years a lot. The game's been the number three bestseller in North America for the entirety of 2017. Like over, you know, all, all that's ahead of it is Ghost Recon Wildlands and Breath of the Wild. And the game's, again, how old? Very. So the only potential thing where it's like, oh, maybe it won't happen, is the last time a GTA came to a Nintendo system. It was Chinatown Wars on the DS. It was a top-down spinoff, and it did not sell well. In the first two it was months, really well received by critics. It was though. super good. I love it. But it, in the first two months, it was on the market back in two thousand nine. It sold <laughs> Gazentai. You did have two more Gazentai. I knew it. Oh, five. Wow. But staggered. <laughs> bonus sneeze. I guess it's like aftershocks. But um, yeah, Chinatown Wars. The first two months came out only sold sold under two hundred thousand units, and that's one of the biggest franchises in the world. So if it didn't do super well on DS. You could argue, well, what maybe Nintendo fans don't care about it on Switch, but then you also have the fact that GTA Five is still selling insanely on everything. So, I suspect it will do well. Did you did you ever play Chinatown Wars? I did. Have you have you played any of the like third person, G- like the real GTAs? Like I mean, three, four, five. The way any normal person does, just so you can get to five stars and survive the longest. Now you see. I'm not a normal person because I've actually never, for more than ten minutes, played a real GTA. Huh? Yeah, I don't have a PlayStation. I don't have an Xbox. Never really did it. I mean, I've never owned a GTA, but I knew plenty of people that had it. I feel like just played it for hours. I feel like I need to do that, and I feel like the best way to do that would be to bring GTA Five to. I feel like the whole reason I brought GTA Five up right now was not an example of like how you can compromise well and make a good game, which would be you know a perfect reason to bring it up in an analysis of the future of the Switch. No, I brought it up because I want them to do it because I want to play GTA because I've never played a GTA outside Chinatown Wars, which was a lot of fun, but it was not real GTA. Oh. It wasn't. I mean, you played it. You, it Poor it's, Jason. It's a top-down... Like, Chinatown Wars is great, but and it tried to mimic the vibe of real GTA, but it's top-down. It's pixely. It's, you know, it's old-school GTA, not real GTA. So, I don't, I don't think it's totally outlandish to have a real GTA on Switch. I mean, PSP had them. It's somewhat reasonable. But if you do want a, something totally outlandish, that probably won't happen. But maybe the whole compromise thing would factor into... How about Final Fantasy 15? They've had a will they, won't they drama around this game for like a month now. And I feel like we shied away from talking about it because every time it came up, they then backpelled on what they said. And yet, here we are, possibly with Final Fantasy 15 coming. So it all started with the game's producer, a guy named Hajime Tabata. And he said in a stream, like a game stream, he's like, the system's in the works or the games that works for a system that rhymes with Twitch. Huh. There's only one system that rhymes with Twitch. Just for the record. And then he said it was a joke. And then... Pretty harsh joke. He said it was a mistranslation. And then he said it wasn't a joke. Or well, first he said it was, a, it was a joke, wasn't a joke, was a mistranslation. And then to Eurogamer, he said they've only gotten as far as what he calls, and this is his words, technical tests to see if even the engine could run on Switch. And spoiler, it cannot, in its current form, run on Switch. But he went on to say, and it sounds like Square Enix is, you know, not ruling it out here, 
that they may want to make an optimized quote-unquote version for switch and he pointed out that you know there's final fantasy 15 coming to mobile with pocket edition it's on pc with some adjustments so switch is possible and another word for optimize is everything we've just been talking about for the last little while which is you know a game with a few compromises so i don't know much about final fantasy 15 i know they drive around in an audi r8 which is odd to me because i thought they ride chocobos and airships but whatever and I know it's well-received, and it's a little more action-y, more of an action RPG. Beyond that, I couldn't tell you anything about it. But the idea of having you some form of monsters. that... You find giant monsters. I remember playing a bit of it at Comic-Con? Did you? Yeah, to get a free shirt. I didn't get a free shirt. Wow, I missed out. Yeah. It kind of felt like you were playing God of War. Giant hmm. monster, hit the weak point. Wait, how action of an RPG is this action RPG? To the point where it looked like you're playing a Bayonetta. <laughs> oh, really? Wow. It's more like Bayonetta than an RPG. That's... I mean, I'm sure there's more... I mean, it was just a demo, so I'm sure there's more, like, character building and traits and all that stuff, but the segment I played was straight up just action. Interesting. It it just felt like you were just flying around, hacking and slashing and flying around and dodging and... But did you and your bros drive in that convertible Audi R8 with half you sitting on the roof of it, on the back part? No? No. So did you even really play it then? Because that's, like, the iconic thing from that game, isn't it? Uh, I guess. That's what everyone's going to... I mean, it's it's not iconic for a good reason per se, but like, honestly, forgot about that, and I feel like I've been. I feel like maybe it's iconic to me because I own an Audi. I don't know, but whenever I see it, I'm just like, oh, the game where like your dudes from a JRPG driving an Audi. You know, they made a real version of that Audi. They could like they gave it away to Japan Square Enix. They had one of them. Well, I guess we know how to make a game have a lasting impression on you. Yeah, make it be the same make as my car. Now, granted, I don't have an R8. I take an R8, but I don't have an R8. But yeah, it uh. Yeah, I don't know anything about it, but not to repeat my same point over and over here. <laughs> but I'm going to do think, it anyway. No, I was just going to say, I think it would do quite well on Switch. Like, compromises aside, this is what Switch is about. Portable version of a game that's already big and big and out there and in the ether, like in the world and doing well, and Final Fantasy XV did well, and I'm sure people would double dip if it came to Switch. So, you know, it's certainly more exciting than if they just put motion controls on Final Fantasy and said, well, here you go. So, So we'll see. I mean... The, the thing about this whole... Well, that worked for Resident Evil 4. Well, it, yeah, but those were... Yeah, that that's was literally just there. Now, of course, there are exceptions <laughs> to every rule then, yeah, because Resident that Evil 4 Wii Edition better. made it better. That's very true. And now Resident Evil Revelations on Switch actually using the IR camera that's come out recently. When you reload, it's sensing the reload motion, which is kind of like your hand hitting your palm. It'll use the IR camera to determine when that happens, which hmm. is interesting. It also has Amiibo support. So, you know, if you want to shoot Mario in the head, potentially you could. I doubt that's what they're going to do, but I, it has Amiibo. Uh, who knows? But, yeah, it's. Um, I think the takeaway from all this is regardless of how they compromise the game and how the fans respond and what happens next, these games can't suck. And going back to kind of the top of the show, we were discussing how surprisingly impressive Switch's first year has turned out to be. An obvious driving force of that is the fact that the games don't suck. It's one thing to get a lot of games. We had a ton of shovelware. But what Switch is doing well is that the games are good. And it seems like a lot of developers are now, A, being rewarded with good sales, and B, doubling back around to Switch as a result of the games being good and selling well. I mean, we have Koei Tecmo, for example. They just announced that Attack Attack on Titan 2, originally only coming to other consoles, is now going to be on Switch as well. You have the gang at Inti Creates, who made Blaster Master Zero, 
my God Force, all that. They announced that they're bringing Gal Gun 2 to Switch as well as PS4. Konami's continuing to support Super Bomberman R. They just announced three new DLC characters. Uh, Chucklefish, you know those guys. They're coming out with Stardew Valley. They're coming out with Pocket Fighter one day, maybe, potentially. Who knows? Uh, those guys are now saying... They don't even have a game on Switch yet, and they're already saying, we plan to bring every game going forward to Switch. Like, there's this kind of groundswell. Of if you make good games, good things happen, and you keep making good games. Do you think we're working on some sort of Witch Academy game or something like that? They have, like, six games in development, yeah. yeah. There is something with Witches, yeah. And Stardew Valley, for those interested, it just got approval from Nintendo and should be out basically whenever Chucklefish wants at this point. They're just trying to figure out timing. So, that's coming soon. But, yeah, even, even like, uh, Hamster, the guys that do the Neo Geo Arcade Archive is now, are now doing the Nintendo Archive. They released Mario Bros. last Thursday, and like the same day, they're like, oh, in addition to the six we told you about, we're also bringing Excite Bike and Wrecking Crew and Urban Champion. I don't know why they're bringing Urban Champion. <laughs> I don't understand this obsession with Urban Champion. It's, it raises a whole other question, but why does Nintendo, and I guess Hamster, keep trying to convince people that Urban Champion is some sort of classic game worth revisiting? It is not. It is not a good game. It's terrible. It's a really horrible beat-em-up that feels like what the Ninja Turtle games got right, it did everything wrong. Like, I don't... Why does it keep popping up? It's been on the e-reader. It's been on, like, virtual consoles. It's been... I think it was an NES remix. Wasn't it one of our why? Ambassador games? It was an Ambassador game. That's right. That's, when, I, remember, I remember that's how I yeah. first played it. I'm like, well... It's, I was just curious about this game because Nintendo kept making reference to it in Smash Brothers and stuff like that. I'm and like, it's wow, not good. This game sucks. Nintendo, you have... Like, 40 excellent NES games and arcade games you can do things with and put out for $6 a pop or seven fifty or whatever it is. Not even the beat it's just a 1v1. It's not good. The reason that guy's an urban champion is because he's the only one because no one wants to play it. It's just not good. <laughs> like, he wins by default. But yeah, so that's now coming to Switch as well. I really don't understand why that's the thing that Nintendo is pushing. I mean, if they, do a, if they do some sort of reboot and it becomes a good game, sure. But they've been pushing it long <laughs> they enough. They literally reimagined the game and it becomes their Street Fighter. Then I'm all for Literally it. just called Urban Champion. I'm totally Super Urban for Champion. Super, Super Urban Champion 2 Turbo. Super Urban Champion. Ultra Super Urban Champion 2 Turbo Deluxe. <laughs> arcade Edition. Arcade they, Edition. Yeah, they actually make arcade cabinets for it. I mean, it had an arcade cabinet. It becomes That's an how it's evil an title. Outcome. Evil Urban. We just, we just created urban. a whole legacy for Urban Champion. We really did. And the thing is, if the game gets good, that legacy is more than welcome. But until it gets good, which it won't. Just stop, Nintendo. Like it's all. I I really did think when they first started pushing it, they're gonna reboot it. But it's been like 15 years of them pushing it, and nothing's come of it. Like why even? Whatever. The point I was trying to make, <laughs> Urban Champion aside, is there's now this perpetual cycle that's propelling the we are like doubling down. And yeah, exactly. That switch is moving forward, and I think Square Enix is a good example of that because every single episode we now have a new game from Square Enix. They are by far the biggest support. Literally, the last six episodes, I think we've mentioned a Square Enix game. And in this case, it's not so much a new announcement as it is a localization announcement, but they have announced that they are bringing Spelunker Party to the Switch eShop on October 19th with a demo first on October 7th. And the game is pretty, outside of, uh, pretty far outside of Square Enix's like, typical wheelhouse. Uh, it's a side-scrolling puzzle platformer. Kind of reminds me of SteamWorld a little but basically, you have four players, online or off, and you're tasked with just exploring different caves and areas. You're collecting items, you're avoiding enemies, you're avoiding obstacles like pitfalls and boulders. You just kind of make your way through it. But the thing that's appealing about it, to me, at least, is it's a bit different from the type of local multiplayer game we currently have on Switch. Like on Switch, a lot of the local multiplayer experience is competitive. 
which makes sense because Nintendo's whole pitch for Switch back in April, they said this year, this big focus on Switch games is local competitive multiplayer. So that makes sense that a lot of games are doing that. Uh, but there aren't as many like cooperative ones, I feel like. I mean, there are exceptions. Death, uh, Death Squared is a cooperative game that does stuff in a cool way. Minecraft kind of can be. Minecraft can be. Um, Cave Story Plus, they just added co-op mode for the first time in the series history. Free patch if you want to Rabbids can be. Rabbids can be. And also, um, I'm blanking out on the other one I was going to say. There's Oh, yeah, Overcooked. Overcooked. Can be. Can be. Well, it is. It has to be competitive. Com- they're, the cooperative. Com- they're the competitive mode. Oh, but so it's the whatever core you... is cooperative. But none sure. of those are like traditional side scrollers that have a co-op element. So like, like it's different on Switch, which is kind of... But I mean, I guess yeah. I guess Cave Story comes plo- comes close. That is co-op side scrolling, but it's only two people. And Spelunky's four, or Spelunker. Spelunky's a whole <laughs> different. Spelunky's a whole different franchise. Spelunker Party is four, but um, yeah, and I think that's kind of cool because you know when you next have your Switch Party, where we have one of those big Switch get-togethers, you can run a whole gauntlet of games, and Spelunker Party is actually something different compared to the others. It's not just another competitive game or another. Like, oh, here's kind of this thing where you work together to cook food or solve a puzzle. It's like you're actually split-screen exploring a level, doing your own thing, but it all kind of connects back. Yeah, I'm actually really... I'm pretty interested in this game. This one went from... Uh, looks kind of like Shovelware, just based on the... Yeah, the art style is not yeah, going to get favors. Yeah, the art style, very chibi and... the aesthetics, like, they're all just kind of very generic, not mm-hmm. very interesting. Mm-hmm. But the concept itself is just looks fun, just exploring. It looks really fun. Yeah, looks it's fun. very different from any other multiplayer cooperative there is on Switch. Looking right forward now. to learning more about it. Demo on October seventh. That's yep. next. That's before our next episode even is ready. Ooh, yeah, that's soon. That. So, so that that's one that I'm kind of interested in just for that reason. Another one that caught my eye. I don't know if this one caught your eye. It didn't get as much attention. Um, it's this game called Mantis Burn Racing, and it too is a bit different from other multiplayer experiences on Switch. In that it's one of those old school top down racers, like kind of like Super Off Road or Micro Machines or one of those games, if you remember those from the '90s. And what's kind of cool about this is it's that sort of top down Super Off Road vibe, but it has a modern physics engine, modern graphics. It looks pretty nice in motion. It has all sorts of like special effects, like you know dust and snow kicks up as you scoot around, drive around, and everything. And it was just announced for Switch a few weeks back. It uh it didn't get a ton of attention, but it looks a lot like a lot of fun. It's a bit more actiony. It's a bit more f- more fast paced than most Switch indie multiplayer games, but it looks cool. Like it's it's basically like those old school games, but they added some more modern stuff, in addition to physics and graphics. Like there's some depth here. You can upgrade your vehicles. There's five different vehicle classes. You can upgrade them with the, what they describe as an RPG style upgrade system. Which for a racing game, I assume that just means you max out certain stats like drift or speed or whatever. But still, that's a layer you don't usually see in a type of game like this. And then they also are promising both local and online multiplayer for, for up to four people. And the Switch version will come with all the DLC from the existing versions of Mantis Burn Racing that already exist. And those versions are getting pretty good reviews. Not It's not like the best game ever. It's not the hor- like a horrible game. It's a solid top-down racer. So if you're into that sort of thing, which the Switch doesn't have anything like, another example of a type of game that, you know, just more variety on Switch. Yeah, I feel like I would have to try this one out first. It's yeah, it looks cool. I will give it that, but I don't know if I'll pers- if I, I'm not personally that much into that style of racing game. Right. So I I just like it for nostalgia. Which, but I'm willing to give it a shot. Yeah, I mean, I I like I started saying, I just like it for nostalgia, which I think is something that a lot of developers are leveraging leveraging right now on Switch with much success. Again, Street Fighter that was all nostalgia. 
Yeah. Like, you know, a I lot mean, of the side-scrollers that are doing well, indie side-scrollers, that's nostalgic. And the only game that I really, really like that played like that was a Game Boy Color game called Micro Machines. Yeah, I, I name-dropped Micro Machines. Yeah, that's it. Right. That's, I mean, that's, yeah. that's the only one that I really liked that was like that. The yeah, because that, that one had some depth, too. Yeah, that the, was sort of similar where you had different vehicles and you can upgrade them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, you couldn't upgrade them. I thought you could. They just had different stats. Oh, yeah, that's what it was. It's been a while, yeah. But, but this one, you have the upgrade. Yeah, that one was really fun and creative levels and stuff, but I don't know why. I actually did never get into any other version of it. Well, it's because most of those games are so bare bones, which is what caught my eye about this one. Like, most of those games, it's just like, you drive around. It was missing the personality, I guess. Yeah, it's a mix of no personality and just like, they seem to think that sort of like sloppy physics where you just sort of scoot around, that, that's enough. That's all you need. It's like, well, no. There needs to be meat on the bone, like any game. You know, even Mario Kart, like, has depth in its course design and the different vehicles and everything, but a lot, like, Super Off-Road and Arcades obviously didn't have that because it was an arcade game. You don't need it as much, but, you know, the, the more meat, the better. So, yeah, so I, I'll, I'm keeping an eye on it. I don't know if I'll for sure get it, but it, it definitely caught my eye, and it's just one of many, many Switch announcements we've been getting these past few weeks. Like, I think this is one of the other things where I was like, wow, Switch is huge now. Like, another thing that made me realize this was game announcements are coming in, like, hot and heavy like we are getting multiple game announcements between every episode we back in the wii u days used to be able to cover almost every game or not not necessarily plan but we used to definitely talk about like oh here's a new third party game that's worth knowing here's five new nindies to check out and we still do that these last few episodes in particular we've done we kind of put a spotlight on those but we cannot do every single game anymore there are too many to count we're only seven months in it's just gonna keep ramping up from there which is of course great for the system's future it makes our jobs a little harder but it just really emphasizes like look at how well the switch is doing that we've hit this part this like uh, wall so early in the system's life yeah, so, definitely. yeah it's 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 particularly cool um because it means you know more systems game. doing better better system means more developers which means more games like it's just gonna exponentially grow from here so that that's that's a plus but but yeah, it also means more experimental games, which is actually something I kind of missed in the Wii U days. Like the Wii U, for all the stuff about asynchronous or asymmetric gameplay up front and all that, about two years in, it was all pretty standard fare. Even Nintendo stuff was playing it relatively soon. I mean, Splatoon was big, but it was basically a shooter. Captain Toad was cool, but it was basically a little puzzle, 3D puzzle game. Like nothing was really like weird. We didn't have an electroplankton. We didn't have anything like that. Yeah, outside of Nintendo Land, which is crazy because you have the Wii U almost was begging for those weird experiences. Yeah, it would have been perfect for it, and they just dropped it, the whole concept of doing weird, so early in the system's life. But what's nice about Switch is third parties, more so than Nintendo even, are now doing the weird. Like, and I, like the, um, to run with the Electroplankton example, we got that game on DS, and that's because DS had a huge audience. So if you have a niche audience of X percent of players that are going to buy your crazy game, if your audience is massive, that's physically a larger number of players, naturally. So if you put Electroplankton on the system like a DS that has, I don't know, at that time, <coughs> 70, <coughs> 80... You okay? I'm dying. Oh, you're dying. Let's just... <coughs> we'll just hang out while you die. Any last words? <coughs> I want more games. You want more games? <laughs> Are you okay? I think I'm good now. Okay, you're the second person today that I started choking dramatically in front of me. I think I'm the problem. Yep. <laughs> <coughs> you alright? <sighs> Let's leave this in the podcast. Let's you not cut this out. <laughs> <laughs> you jinxed me because he was coughing before we started recording. 
He was coughing? You. I was coughing? Oh, yeah, I was. Yeah, we had to restart the intro because I, like, choked <clears> on my <throat> spit. At least you choked on water. That's a better... <laughs> that's at least more normal. Yeah, the, the the influx of games left me speechless. Not just speechless. It literally caught you in, like... Yeah. It, you did a, an inverted spit take. <laughs> <laughs> it's basically what happened. Anyway. But, but yeah, no, it's starting to say, like, electroplankton. You know, they threw it on a system that had, like, 60, 70 million people because you're guaranteed to have a decent, decent number. If you were put that on PSP... It would not have done nearly as well. Granted, it would never have happened because it's Nintendo, but if you run with this hypothetical. So what's cool is now we're seeing that on Switch is what I'm getting at. And for me, that kind of became apparent that we're getting the weird, wacky stuff with Travis Strikes Back, the new No, no More Heroes. I mean, frankly, it's a big game, but frankly, it's a quirky game for a quirky crowd. I think we could all agree on that, right? Like, it is a pretty out-there thing by standard gaming Definitely. thought. But but what, in my mind, at least, what really pushed us over the limit was something um, at Tokyo Game Show called Gal Metal. And yeah, I saw the trailer, and I still wasn't really sure what I was looking at. Well, first, let me set the scene for you a bit. Okay, I mean, it's a it's, band. It's a band, but let me let me set the scene. Do you remember in 2010, Konami had that infamous E3 press conference that went horribly wrong in every possible way? And there's one guy with who, the dreads. Yes, the guy with the dreads. He kept telling him. He was talking about. I think he was producing like 99 Nights or something at the time. And he kept saying like, "We're gonna." Have, it has one million troops. And he kept repeating that, and he was just like super eccentric. And he had not the best English, but for some reason he wanted to speak in English. With props to him, that's pretty bold and brave. But nonetheless, it made for like six saw minutes of meme fodder for like two years. That guy, whose name is Tak Fuji, is the dude behind gal metal so that eccentric dude that should hopefully give you a little context of how why this game is so weird it came from this guy and he's he's making it for switch exclusively because it relies heavily on motion control and the premise to kind of answer your question of what's going on is that you're part of an all-female metal band and they're playing music to from what i've gathered save the world from an alien invasion but in case that wasn't weird enough you take on the role of the band's drummer who isn't just a gal in the band. It's actually a boy who switched bodies with the girl drummer. And it's a boy in the girl's body. And meanwhile, the girl's in the boy's body elsewhere in the story. So you're actually a boy in a girl's body drumming in an all-female high school metal band to save the world from an alien invasion. And it's all controlled with motions of the Joy-Cons and there's no note chart. It's just you jam and it tells you how you did. That makes a lot of sense. That um, makes sense? That, no, no, wait. no. Let, let me get <laughs> context. Okay. I saw the trailer. Um... They had like a little comic strip of, yes. of sort of things and pretty much, I mean, you pretty much narrated what, what's going on. I'm like, okay, now I get why, now I get what was going on when yeah. the aliens abducted them and yeah. it looked like, I guess that was the body switching when they showed both the guy and the girl like next to each other and all so, right. So here's the thing, that that manga style or manga style uh, cutscene you saw was actually the in-game cutscene. Here's where things get weirder. So you're drumming in the game, right? And it's a music game. And then all the cinematics are silent manga panels okay i don't know why i i don't know why but really like what what interesting to me about it is it's just so out there like is it gonna be a good game i have no idea is it fun i have no clue is it basically we music with a story yes like there's no way you have to drum you just literally how this guys you just like jam to the music and you you know you see what happens maybe you do well maybe you don't but um, let's, let's find out let's find out together guys uh but yeah that that's kind of the whole premise of it so i don't know if it's gonna be good or not but nonetheless it's just a really crazy idea that is only possible on a system that has a big audience now so it's cool to see developers go crazy and use the switch audience to its advantage like that so 
you know there is the audience on Switch that can do it, so it's cool to see. But but yeah, that 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 audience for the record isn't just only for like weird games like Gal Metal. There's also it turns out the ability to entice this to have this audience entice game companies that don't normally make games for Switch. Most recently, we saw that in the Nintendo Direct with uh, Tencent announcing they're bringing a MOBA Arena of Valor to Switch. And we talked about at the time, you know, oh, this is a big thing, it extends the reach of the console, maybe they'll go into China now, etc., etc. Now it turns out, uh, Switch is also coming to Korea on December 1st, and some of the biggest names in Korean, Korean gaming, including Nexon, who makes Maple Story, are looking into bringing games to Switch. It's Nexon, it's coming called CFK Games, it's coming called Intra Games. Maple Story is not a typical console experience i was wondering why that game sounded so familiar yet i've never i've never it's it's like a side scrolling online and then i remembered it was like an rpg of sorts that you played in your browser and they made a ds one once i think but now it's coming to switch now they're looking at that game that always shows like oh here's your character at level one here they're at level 10 and here they are yeah exactly 30 yep yep and i never quite got the like deeper appeal but yeah it might be coming to switch now because again much like arena of valor there's this huge audience potentially that will experience Maple Story for the first time, or any of these companies' games. And on the flip side, you have a way to get all these fans of these games to buy a new system with the Switch. So it's win-win for everyone involved. That's probably why Nintendo's stock went up after the Tencent Arena of Valor announcement, because it's like, oh, hey, the biggest game in China is now going to be playable on the Switch, and that means the Switch is probably going to make moves in China, and that means win-win for everyone involved. So it's a smart smart strategy. Uh, It does make me wonder, though, like if we're getting stuff like a MOBA game, if we're getting stuff like Maple Story, just how out of the box, if we're getting stuff like Gal Metal, just how out of the box these Switch games going to become? Like, what what could come next? What would you want to see? I can't I can't even think of... Like, it's it's really... There's room for some unusual stuff, I feel like. Definitely. Only time will tell what it is. But... Right, well, you've been playing a lot of, like, StarCraft lately, right? Would yeah. that work? I thought it would. But I don't even know anymore, because um, I think, yeah, I was talking to you about pretty much, like, the game that I've been playing is StarCraft, mm-hmm. that, like, just recently hooked me because of my new brother-in-laws, and I got really into it, like, I really, really love it, definitely, I wish I had played it earlier, but at the same time, I don't think I would have appreci- appreciated it as much if I didn't start playing it today. Sure. Or recently. And, you know, just research management, a lot of mouse and keyboard clicks, it's pretty much real-time chess you're just trying to build up your army build up your resources so that you can defeat the uh, the opposing player mm-hmm. and it has a pretty fun like co-op i mean solo campaign which i'm still like working through and at first i'm like oh this would be pretty fun to play on the switch but um but then i'm like wait how how can it work i mean i use almost every i mean i use most of like a lot of keys on the keyboard like there's already more buttons that i use that the controllers even have yeah but then you mentioned that there was a StarCraft 64. There was. So we weren't really even sure like what that was. I'm like, is it like a spin-off? Like, is it the game? And I looked into it, and it turns out it was the full. It's the full StarCraft game, so including it, the DLC and the thing. So it could come to Switch in theory. So in theory, it can because they somehow made it work with the N64 controller just by doing clever uses of the the C stick and like if you hold down one button while pressing another button, that's pretty much the equivalent of pressing other buttons. You also have touch on. Um the Switch if you play portable mode. Yeah, but I feel like the screen is way too small to oh, okay. make good use of yeah. that. Not to mention that 
Yeah, I don't know. It, it could be really cool just because, like, if you're playing online, you can't see their screen, they can't see you. It can never work locally unless mm-hmm. you just promise not to look into the screen because the whole point is to not know what your opponent right, is up to. You're, yeah, it's, it's chess, basically. But, yeah. Chess with aliens. But I would love for a version of that to come to Steam or something like that. Like, you mean a Switch? Yeah, to Switch. <laughs> uh, yeah, just, they just have to get creative. Like, I don't know. I mean, I guess if StarCraft could work, it, I don't see why... I don't see why someone can't do the same thing they're doing for Advanced Wars like Wargroove that they're doing for Warcraft. Star, Starcraft? Starcraft. You're all, you're all jumbled after coughing up the storm. <laughs> I know. But, but yeah, yeah, yeah what I mean. Like then, yeah. T- tiny, uh, there's another one. There's Wargroove and there's Tiny Army, Tiny tiny Builder, Tiny... Whatever, yeah, there's two two games that are easily, strat- you know, strategy games that work on consoles. So yeah, it should be easy to graft over Starcraft. You're right. Yeah, I mean... The idea is already there. They just have to replace some things, make it work with the controllers, and there you go. I, I mean, mean, yeah. The port to the N64 was the only time StarCraft ever was ported to any console whatsoever. So mm-hmm. they've obviously made no attempt to put it on PS4 or anything else. So I doubt it's ever going to happen. The closest we've gotten to games like that, I think, recently were Halo Wars. I think that is a game similar to StarCraft. They're playing yeah. Halo Wars, but from what I know, it's supposed to be like StarCraft. Mm-hmm. So. It's possible. I just I would like to see it happen now that I'm into this. Right, right. I think I think if it were to happen, Switch would make the most sense for it. For you know what I was saying before, like it's already getting MOBAs and Maple Stories and things like that that aren't typical console games. So it's not that far of a leap. I mean, and if we do get the actual Starcraft, that'd be even better. I mean, I can't imagine it taking that long. To, I mean, even if we get the old one, they could just call it Starcraft Classic. I mean, that's they're, what they're calling it on PC right now, right? Well, is this called regular Starcraft? Uh. And but it's free, which it's called is regular StarCraft. Well, it's just called StarCraft. Oh, <laughs> but like, it, hey guys, <laughs> you want to download regular StarCraft? I mean, there's a StarCraft too. That's right. still popular, well, yeah, but yeah. yeah. But this one I didn't realize. Also, didn't know StarCraft One more specifically their expansion called Brood Wars. Mm. I didn't know that was like the super popular one. I thought StarCraft Two was the uber popular one. No, but, StarCraft in Korea, especially, is no, the original yeah. is huge. But, Actually. Further reasons should come to Switch. We just talked about how Korean developers are getting into StarCraft. Hey, maybe. Hey. That that could make it possible. And granted, Blizzard's right down the street in Irvine here, down the street, down the freeway in Irvine here, but yeah. if the market in Korea wants a StarCraft on their Switch, the point is like, they're going to get StarCraft on I mean, Switch. they already have, they have ways to port it. I mean, yeah. I'm sure they do. And the game, if they just put Classic onto the Switch, I can't imagine it being that bad. And it plays into all the nostalgia that sells really well on Switch, as we were talking about yeah. earlier. I can't think of any reason why they, they do have want to. They do have a remastered version that literally just... Um, all they really did was just make the, the sprites HD. They didn't make... They're not they're not little CG models. They're yeah. still just like... It's like Donkey Kong Country. They just... Oh, sure, sure. Yeah, they're just images. Like super sharp images that you could zoom in and out of. It looks amazingly clear. I just bought it the other day just because I... Got into the game so much, I thought it was worth right. the fourteen bucks to actually give them some money for yeah. their work. And it was just fourteen bucks. I I mean, if it ends up costing like twenty nine ninety nine on the Switch and it comes yeah. with both DLCs, it could still be worth it because it's portable. Yeah, honestly, just the fact that See, it's portable. There, there's the there's the whole the, I mean, the, the pitch. The, my whole point about compromise. And if you're like, right oh, let's, I'm gonna go over someone's house. They have the game too. Then you could put both like game consoles like side like in front of each other. Yeah. And, I mean, albeit the night actually, if you're spectating. On the remastered one, you could zoom out and stuff, but for the most part, the game has a fixed camera that's like it's it's like Zelda. Sure, it's pretty like isometric. Yeah, kind of it's thing. isometric. It's pretty close in, like it. So easier the, renders. What yeah, you're the the well, I'm saying the small screen wouldn't really hurt. Oh, as, sure, yeah. won't hurt as much as people would think. 
I hope Blizzard's listening because we just named off literally everything we talked about this episode has now combined into one point of see Starcraft makes the most yeah. sense of another game ever. that they don't really have to put much effort into developing if they want to yeah. use it as their test then by all yeah. means and then hey after Starcraft just go ahead and figure out how to get Overwatch on the system and we're golden Blizzard yeah. then you just put Hearthstone just another just do everything there. just like no but seriously like it, I didn't expect StarCraft to check all the boxes, but literally every point we brought up this episode about like why Switch is good for this, then next thing StarCraft hits all of those. So yeah, that'd be cool to see. I don't have any crazy... Yeah, and, it's, and it's honestly not even as complicated as you would think. Like, I always avoided it in my early days because not only did I not really have a way to play it because I only mm-hmm. had Nintendo consoles, but mm-hmm. when I saw my cousins playing it, it just looked overwhelming. Like, oh man, they're they're building their these factories. They have an army going off over here. There's yep. these battles. Like, how do you even play? But it's not that complicated. It's... The game eases you in very nicely in the campaign, and the campaign is interesting enough that you actually get sucked into it. Right. That I feel like anyone could really get into it. So Even me? Even you, if you gave even it a try. Me. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but, yeah, it's, uh, I, it, it's funny because, like, we're like, what's the craziest thing I could come to Switch now that they're getting open-ended? It's just like, oh, the one that makes the most sense of anything we've ever talked about. Okay. Like, <laughs> I mean, they're getting a MOBA. I mean, this, yeah, is, this, is almost, yeah, this is almost like the next. Yeah, that's kind of my whole point with when or, I brought this. Like that was the the MOBA Armor of Valor come or yeah, Armor, Arena of Valor. Sorry, coming to Switch was kind of what got us down this path in the first place. And it's funny because I I can't honestly think of very many other like crazy out of the box games I want to see on Switch. But I do want to say that I'd love to see Mega Man. Now that seems out of the blue, right? And it relatively is. But I didn't know its 30th anniversary is in December. Mega Man turns 30 in December, and a Capcom producer recently said that they will put that anniversary to, quote, good use. So here I am With thinking, so much merchandise. So much merchandise, you guys. But here I am thinking, like, how cool would it be if they did another Mega Man, capitalize on the nostalgia vibe of Switch, and do a Mega Man in the style of Mega Man 9 or 10, but instead Mega Man, the 90s are in now, guys, do Mega Man X. A new Mega Man X in the style of the old Mega Man X. That would sell, like, Sonic Mania it, basically. On top of actually giving Switch users Mega Man's 1 through 10 and... Yeah, do that too. They could just... X's. Yeah, or give us Legacy Collection 2 maybe. Yeah. Or maybe make Legacy Collection 3 and just give everything... Or Meg- Legacy Collection Switch and put everything in there. I don't know. My point is though, like, it's going to do gangbusters if they do something like that. So that'd be cool to see. It's again not outside the box at all. It's actually very in the box. It's probably as in the box as you can get with a Switch suggestion. But I would like to see that. I'd also like to see, while I'm on topic of things that aren't out of the box by wobbling up... Uh, ukulele, please. Anyone? Anyone? That <laughs> ukulele? That game came so, out such a long time ago. So here's the thing. Yeah, the game's been out for a while on other systems. I backed the game when it was first announced, and it was kind of Wii. We're talking multiple years ago. And the reason I'm now bringing it up is Platonic, the game's developer, put out an update this past week that explained what's going on. And essentially, they ran into a bug making it on Switch. They decided to upgrade the Unreal Engine it used to 5.2. And then when they did that, the bug was fixed, but a bunch of other stuff broke. So now they're going back and fixing that. So it's kind of like it's no one's fault. I get how software development works. We do it at our company. It, you know, you fit, you squash one bug, there's seven more. I, I'm glad firsthand don't have to deal with that. But you know, I, I totally get it. So I'm not faulting Platonic. But like, I kind of just want to play the game, and it's so fun to complain. So I'm just gonna go ahead and complain and say, "Can I please have my game?" Like, <laughs> it's not out of the box or anything, and I just. It, it, I just want my game. Is that too much to ask? StarCraft would be cool and makes demographic sense. Mega Man makes nostalgic sense. Ukulele, I don't know what is capitalizing on once Mario Odyssey comes out, but whatever it is, 
just release it. <laughs> yeah, the only it. advantage I have is slowly going away. It'll be gone in a few weeks. So. I mean, yeah, it'll be like Odyssey's out in three weeks. Yeah it's, yeah, it's it's time. I mean, the thing is, all the people that buy Odyssey in 2018 might be looking for another 3D platformer. So there'll be ukulele. There'll be that one I'm forgetting the name of, where you control a cardboard box getting to its delivery point. Got what's called? Comes out in two weeks on Switch. Um, but yeah, so there will be other platformers. So there, you know, there's gonna be a small market for that. But yeah, it's it's bread and butters. The re- the real reason it's gonna sell is slipping away. So so it'd be it'd be lovely if it came out. But I also don't want a buggy game, so I get it. But but while I'm complaining, because complaining is so much fun, uh, here's something where the complaints are actually more justified. Hmm. The Super NES Classic launch. Oh, that thing. What? How did that go? Because I was just mess. like sitting back, relaxing, not yeah. worrying about it. Yeah, because yours actually shipped when it was supposed, or the one you bought for your friend. You're not even buying one for yourself. Shipped when it's supposed to. But what a mess! And this is not Nintendo's fault at all this time. I think Nintendo actually for once did well with this. Some stores had upwards of 300 of these things on launch day. That blows the classic NES a year ago out of the water. But the thing that bothers me about the classic SNES, yes, it's called SNES, by the way. I used to avoid saying SNES on the podcast because I thought people would ridicule me that that's not the real name. And then Nintendo's store in New York tweeted the stupid elf on a shelf meme like you know elf on a shelf but did you know ness on a snes and i'm like snes there it is i'm vindicated all these years of i mean that's nintendo new york SNES. that's not that's still an official nintendo company i don't treat them as official i just treat them as so you're saying i'm saying it wrong by saying snes i still, i would still say so if you've ever noticed if you go back and listen to me talking about the super nintendo classic in the past you know two months of episodes i always pause right before i say super nintendo because i'm always like do i say snes do i not like it's a weird like i'm having like borderline like ocd about it. as i'm about to say it it's like i mean yeah or you could just be super nes or snes snes i mean snes i mean that way whether it's right or wrong it's still well that's correct. for sure right it's yeah an acronym, yeah but, exactly yeah but anyway it just doesn't sound dumb the bigger you know Apolo- what snes Apolo- doesn't sound dumb Apolo- you sound Apolo- dumb Apolo- for thinking snes sounds dumb apologies to anyone that says snes <laughs> No, you're you're wrong. SNES is great. No, Anyone that says SNES, no. I'm with you 100%. United we stand, you know, divided we they, fall. They should just make that a Splatfest. They should. I mean, it's certainly better than I, the toilet paper one they're doing now. Do you know about that? Yeah, you see that that's like if, they're, if they're doing that, then they might as well just do SNES versus SNES. For anyone who yeah. hasn't looked at Twitter in the last two days, when this podcast is now going up, um, so the next Splatfest is, do you put the toilet paper roll facing forward or backward? Under, over. Over, or under. Or, yeah, under or over, I mean. Which is, like... Really, Nintendo? You could do better. SNES or SNES? You could tie it in with the classic launch. Come on now. But anyway, yeah, so the classic. Here's my tale of war. Did they ever have an 80s or 90s one? No. I feel like that was one somewhere. Oh, like already 80s bear or the 90s bear? Oh, maybe. Maybe in the original. Oh, that, that sounds, that like sounds some... vaguely familiar. Yeah, maybe in Europe or I don't know. But maybe. Definitely not here. But, um, well, one, the 90s are bear because I actually remember it on like the 80s. But I was born in <laughs> 89. You were born in 89. But, um,. Yeah, so the the classic any the classic SNES. Here's the thing, and again, I don't think it's Nintendo's fault to play, uh, in this case. Retailers just botched it. Best Buy did great. There are some retailers that did excellent. Best Buy did really well. They had you know a whole system in place. They weren't doing online sales day of. You went to the store at seven a.m. They give you a wristband. You come back anytime till one p.m. and you could pick it up. Easy, easy peasy. If you're willing to like go up, go get up early and go. Walmart select stores had midnight openings. They too did well at the midnight openings. Here's where things went awry. First, there was Amazon. Oh, here's my personal tale. We'll start with Amazon. I ordered it from that weird shady secondary page. I talked about it on a podcast like a month ago maybe. 
and it was like, oh, cool, I have it, but like Amazon's being weird about it. They're not calling it the right thing, but I'm getting it at launch. It is legit. Great. Get an email saying, hey, we ordered too many. We're putting it on back order. We're sorry. And then on launch day, out of nowhere, suddenly Amazon's like, hey, guys, come to our treasure trucks, which for those who don't know are these trucks that they park in major cities. I think they're in eight cities. And you order it through the app, and then you go anytime in an eight-hour window and go pick it up. And the treasure truck's really fun. It has a bubble machine. It has, like, cutouts of characters that you can pose with. Mario is at the New York one. It's really cool. It's like a little carnival truck. And then you go get your uh, classic SNES, and you're good. You're, You're golden. You're solid. But because they did that, and also instant pickup, if you're in a city that has it where you order and you can go pick it up at a set location two minutes later, that's another thing they now do. Because they did that, they purposely didn't ship any of the pre-orders. A rep actually told someone, customer service rep told someone, oh yeah, we're not doing any launch weekend deliveries to pre-orders. We're going to do that in October because we decided to divert all our inventory to the trucks for basically a self-promotional purpose. Hmm. Not the best look. Then Walmart... I mean, is it illegal? No, but they're sort of self-scout. They're sort of scalping their own inventory here. It's not illegal at all. It's just not good customer service. And then Walmart does something sort of similar where... Their stores were getting anywhere from 30 to 50 of these things, but they were telling a bunch of people who pre-ordered online, oh, sorry, we have to backorder you. Now, to be fair to Walmart, I got the backorder email, by the way, at the worst possible time. It was 9.30 at night, the night before I was supposed to have it delivered, meaning if I said, screw it, I'll go stand in line at a 24-hour Walmart, it was too late to get in line to make sure I actually got one. Like, what a last-second weird thing. If you're on the East Coast, it was already past midnight launch when you got the email. Like, it's horribly handled. To Walmart's credit, I got an email 20 hours later telling me it shipped. But I was supposed to have it launch day delivery, and I instead had it. I'm now getting it uh, October 9th, which is, you know, after launch by about 10 days. <laughs> so not ideal. But again, instead of just giving it to the people that pre-ordered, they diverted more inventory to stores for walk-ins and kind of screwed over the pre-orders. And again, there's nothing wrong with that per se, but what these retards are doing that's kind of annoying is – what we criticized GameStop for doing and they actually didn't do this time. They sold the system straight up. You get it for 80 bucks easily. I actually have one also coming from GameStop that I'm giving to a friend. I panicked when Walmart told me I was back to her because the email's really menacing size. It's like, if we don't get it in a week, we're just canceling. So you're not getting one at all from Amazon then? Uh, the Amazon one I'm going to cancel probably or mm. something. I'm waiting till the GameStop one ships. I Like one pending, one already shipped. One's going to a friend, I'm keeping one and the third one I'll probably cancel so someone else can get it. I don't have any interest in scalping this it, it's it'd be, oh, yeah. yeah it's unfair too but anyway GameStop to your credit didn't do forced bundles <gasps> oh yeah anyway. but okay that was a weird gasp but uh, I got scared what about yours for your friend no oh no that one shipped already oh cool yeah oh yeah that's right because I emailed you or I texted you saying dude mine just got delayed and you're like mine shipped like are you kidding mine's backward but anyway my point is so GameStop the one we complained about scalping didn't scalp and then the guys that didn't scalp before are now indirectly scalping and technically there's nothing wrong with that and it's savvy from their perspective because they are guaranteeing that they will sell a classic Super Nintendo to me and to everyone else that pre-ordered. But then they can also simultaneously have enough to give to walk-ins and basically get double the sales. I get that because you know if someone walks in and they don't have them because they divert them all to pre-orders, they might not walk back in. They might go somewhere else and buy it or they just might not buy it. So this way they're getting two sales instead of one sale. But it's like the shadiest way of doing it. Like to kind of screw over your pre-order people, especially on Amazon where you pay for Prime and you're expected to be treated like a higher level, but then anyone can do Treasure Truck Day of. Not the best look for them at all. So it 
it was kind of messy. I was running all over the place on launch day because I didn't even know if the GameStop, the GameStop one, I got confirmation at midnight it was going to ship. I was lucky enough to get it right when, you know, when the website went live. Before the website crashed, I was in and out really fast. But it still hasn't shipped as it's recording. It's now Saturday. Um, the Walmart one has shipped, it turns out. But there's a window there where I didn't know if I was going to get one anymore. Like, I didn't know if Walmart was going to cancel or what. So I was running around to different retailers and it was a mess and. There's a lot of stress that shouldn't be there, and it's not so much Nintendo's fault anymore, because it actually did ample supply. Now it's the companies that feel it's okay to sort of semi-scalp the stuff in a way. So, that's kind of my beef with uh, this whole launch. I mean, it's uh, retailers are saying they're getting more. They don't know when they're getting more. That's the weird thing. Like, oh yeah, we're going to be getting more through the holiday and into the holiday. It's like, well, when? And I've heard everything from the day this podcast goes live, October 2nd, to four to six weeks, to middle of October, to... November 13th is when someone was told by Amazon theirs will ship their back-ordered one because they were, you know, too busy stocking treasure trucks. So it's kind of a mess. It's it's definitely not an ideal situation. But at least on Nintendo's side, they seem to have, for the most part, addressed everyone's complaints. And now it's just up to retailers to maybe not have horrible customer service and maybe actually value the people who pre-ordered first with the systems first, even if it means possibly fewer sales overall. Because, like, you know, what, what would... Why would I want to pre-order with those guys again? Maybe I'll go somewhere else next time. I guess in their back pocket, they assume, well, you'll get to choose where you pre-order. You just pre-order where you can when something like this happens, and I'll come back. And it's true, I probably will. But I don't know. It's just, it left a bad taste in my mouth. But I'm happy to say I am at least getting one. Meanwhile, you're sitting back with your shipped night before as it was supposed to, and you're, you're dandy. So, yeah. But for those who didn't <clears throat> get a classic, uh, classic Super Nintendo and still want one, uh, just, no, just what, keep what, an what, eye out. They're, I mean, like I said, retards don't have specific time frames, but it sounds like they're moving pretty quick. And another shipment's supposed to go out during the holidays, right? There'll be many shipments up through January. Hmm. So there is hope. Nintendo's doing it well yeah. on their I side. I just thought that we have to say there is hope. The fa- it's like the Amiibo like, thing. Yeah, the fact you shouldn't that have to say there is hope. Yeah, there, there's just, just... There is a problem guys, with saying that. There is hope that you can buy this product. Yeah, it's just like, it shouldn't be like That's that. That's not even considered limited edition. No, it's not. But, yeah, I guess it, it still, I guess, to some extent falls on Nintendo for not having enough. But it turns out, like, part of the reason that there's so many shortages with the NES and now this uh, SNES is it's actually the exact same insides. They, re- they basically took the internals of the NES, threw a Super Nintendo emulator on it, and re-released it in a new plastic case. That's oh. why the NES got stopped when it did. So it kind of... Mm-hmm. So I see why Nintendo did it. But, but if you can't get a Super Nintendo, what you can do is go buy Super Nintendo clothing at Forever 21. And what was the weirdest coincidence of probably my entire day of Super Nintendo hunting, I'm at a mall that has a Target, a Best Buy, and a Forever 21. Our group chat that me and Angel, are, and, uh, Angel and I are in, it goes off. And someone's like, hey, Forever 21 is doing a Nintendo collection. And I'm thinking, I, okay, that's for women, whatever. Turns out, little did I know, Forever 21 sells men's clothing. That's first. And then second, the... I learned that last week. Oh. No, two weeks ago. When I went with that same friend, we went to right. Forever 21. I'm like, wow, there's a lot of it's very like, gaming shirts and random yeah. stuff. It's because the 90s are in and Forever 21 is a, fa- a fashion So a many fast jeans with company. holes in them. Yeah. A lot of astronaut jackets. A lot of... Bomber jackets, you mean? No, like they were literally like they had like a space shuttle. And, oh yeah, yeah. Well, bomb. Yeah. yeah. Well, I mean, it was a bomber jacket, but, but I mean, patches, it was a yeah. straight up like NASA. Uh, yeah, NASA jacket. Yeah, it, it's interesting because Forever Twenty One is a company that thrives on being fast fashion, meaning they take the current trends and they sort of rip them off and then sell them at basically old. They're like a fashionable old navy. Because like the 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 Nintendo collection. So our friend to explain to guess to this point, our the friend sent me the the text. I look like or the group chat. I'm like, oh hey, they actually have some cool stuff. 
10 seconds later, I'm in Forever 21 buying this awesome Super Mario Kart hoodie, which is a total ripoff of real fashion because the back borrows a design from a guy named Virgil Abloh. He does streetwear. His brand's called Off-White. He got to start as Kanye's creative director, actually. And his whole thing is like having sweatshirts on the back are just like this kind of slanted line pattern, almost like a crosswalk. And what Forever 21 did is they took that crosswalk, kind of mimicked it, and then put Mario Kart sprites on it and had the whole like cast of characters and carts on the street, so to speak. That looks kind of Shibuya Crossing-ish. So then on the front, they put Super Mario Kart logo and then in Japanese, Super Mario Kart. It's very cool. It's super 90s looking, like the most 90s looking of anything I think I own in terms of like, you know, big graphics on a simple hoodie, whatever. But yeah, this is a little known collaboration. It kicked off Friday. No one really reported on it. It's a limited time, so if you have any interest in some actually legitimately fashionable Nintendo items, including bomber jackets and like t-shirts and one pieces for women and all sorts of stuff, it's actually kind of legit. Like I would go check it out. So if you can't get a classic Super Nintendo, you can at least yeah, go. You can get check them some. out online too. So. Yeah, forever21.com. As if I needed to tell anyone that. But uh, <laughs> yeah, I would I would go check it out. I was surprised by it. So if you can't get like I started, saying, if you can't get a Super Nintendo, you can at least go get some clothes that are styled after Super Nintendo. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're if you're in the boat where you actually can't find a Super Nintendo, because there are a lot of you out there, I'm sure uh, Nintendo's got something for you too. It's not just Forever 21. You can go play Super Mario Run because Super Mario Run just this past Thursday uh, got a pretty big update that came with three parts. Basically, there's a new mode, there's a new world, and there's a new music setting. And I think to kind of do a weird hybrid of like here's what it is plus impressions, I think the biggest change by far is the inclusion of this new Remix 10 mode which sends you through 10 mini-levels back-to-back, no do-overs. The goal is not just to survive, but to collect as many bonus coins as you can. There's three per stage regularly. And I, at least, found it to be really, really fun. It's the most, like, mobile-first Mario game has ever felt. Yeah, it's definitely a fun little side mode. Yeah, what, what I like about it is it's basically a shuffle mode for the rest of the game. Like, you have these bite-sized levels. You run through them... Uh, from through, you know, they, the game runs through them from like throughout all of Mario Run. So one minute you can be doing level four three, the next you be doing level one two, then a Bowser Castle, then you know an underground, this that next thing. But they all have different coin configurations, different enemy placements. It's kind of like, do you remember in Mario Maker the hundred Mario Challenge where it just shuffled a whole bunch of weird Mario stages at you from other people? Uh-huh. It's like the Mario Run version of that. It's like a bite sized miniature. What I want to see version. them do next is an endless one, like just like just continuously uh, add, yeah. keep adding levels, like something that. It's really more of a of a high score challenge because I mean the Toad Rally is alright. I mean it, it's great. I never got yeah. into it, but I would personally want something that I could just keep doing forever. Just keep, like those bite sized ones are great. Just keep adding more and more and more. Maybe I guess you need to wait for them to die because honestly, some of those sections are some of them are so mind-numbingly easy mm-hmm. that they may as well not even be there. And in, some of them in, in Remix Ten or just in, in Mario Run in, in Remix Ten. Oh yeah, yeah. yeah like, so, oh yeah, yeah. Yeah, cause, I mean they're, they're all really short, but there are some that you. There's some I, tricky ones. I, I encountered a few where I literally did nothing. Like I just basically ran forward, uh, did like yeah. one jump, and that's it. It was over, and I'm like, all right. But that's, because, kind of, well, that's kind of the thing about Remix 10, I think, is it just keeps you on your toes, and that you don't know what's next. It could be really easy. It could be really hard. The only thing you well, know... Well, that's the thing. I've never had anything... I mean, from what I encountered, I never encountered anything that I would consider hard. The hardest part, I guess, was like, oh... There was a path going up that I should have remembered was a path going up so I could grab that one coin. I, I, I should back up. I shouldn't say it's hard. I should I mean, say it, was fun. it keeps you on your toes. It's it's reflex-based more than the rest of Mario Run. Because main Mario Run, you can go into any of the worlds and ad nauseum play the same course over and yeah. over and memorize the coin placement. In this, that is impossible. 
Oh no, yeah, that's the, yeah. yeah. It's definitely more reflex plates, and they do. There are a couple constants throughout the fifth stage of every ten course run, which again, these are very small courses. Is always a different playable character. So one time it could be Luigi, one time it could be Peach, one time it could be Yoshi, to you know, et cetera, et cetera. And each of them has a different ability, right? So yeah. suddenly in the middle of it, you are now hover jumping, or you're now doing whatever Yoshi, you know, like it, it varies. And on top of that, they also do these random special course challenges where sometimes it's not three coins. It's like five bonus coins or eight bonus coins. And you just have to get them all in those couple seconds. So they do a good job keeping you on your toes. But yeah, it's not necessarily challenging. It's just the surprise element, I guess, is what's kind of like, oh, this is different. Because, yeah, if you if you miss the upper jump, you're that's it. You're not going to get it. But it's not like, oh, darn, I, couldn't, I wasn't skilled enough to do the upper jump. It's just I didn't re- react fast enough for the upper jump. Yeah. Yeah. But what, what I think is really smart is um, – Nintendo looped in a system that makes it a lot easier to un- uh, unlock items for your kingdom. Like, honestly, the weakest part of Mario Run in its original form was probably Kingdom Builder and how you get items. You just, like, collect coins and you go spend them and that's it. But now, you win a random item every time you do a, a Remix 10 run. So 10 courses takes, like, what, a minute and a half at most, maybe? And uh, as you collect more bonus coins, you know, if you get perfect on each one of these stages, you get a chance at rare items via a little box at the bottom that you press. And then um, those items can actually be automatically plopped into your kingdom for you. You just press a check mark and it just goes right in. So it's like they streamlined everything about Kingdom Builder into this really rapid fire thing where it's like now it's just a trophy case. And when you go to your kingdom, which used to be a whole third part, you can customize it still. But if you just have it auto plop those things in, you go and it's like, wow, look at all these things I got just in these last couple of runs. It's kind of like it has a different vibe. Yeah, the Kingdom Builder was definitely the part I was least interested in. Yeah. So it's nice to see that it's just getting... Yeah, it, it's it's a little. Honestly, higher. I like it now more because it tells you every time you unlock one of the random pieces, it's like, oh, you have yes, blank out of blank out yeah. of whatever, and then there's like blank out of sixty nine um rare pieces or yeah. whatever. So I'm like, oh, that's cool. That's like now I have a a I, goal I guess, pro- a progress bar yeah. of sorts. Which and is, also, also they um which is all they, I wanted. They bar- they brought in a little gotcha stuff from um, Fire Emblem in that you can get duplicate items. Oh, I believe because it it tells you if you have it before or not. Oh yeah, yeah. So I think that's a way to get you keep playing, which is smart. It's like a self perpetuating thing. Yeah, and I wouldn't mind doing um, and because you have that shuffle mode, like I mean, yeah. I wouldn't mind just doing it a few times a day. Right, it's really simple, and and, and you know what's smartest of all of this thing? The music. Well, yeah. the music's great. That's what I think is great. Could we, it, yeah, it, it literally changes the game for me because the music. Wait, do, well, no. well, we're talking about different music. I'm talking about. The music, the default oh. music for Remix Ten is great. No, yeah, You're right, talking no. about the custom music. No, 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 no. Yeah, great, the, right? the the default remix is great, but I think the fact that you could put your own music, I feel like, makes the game ten times more enjoyable for me. I always love it when games that you do that. I mm-hmm. loved it with Wipeout, just like putting. I would just make like a playlist of like racing game music that I just really liked. I obviously just put a lot of F Zero, and it just matched perfectly. And I actually had um when I was playing the remix, I still had my. Mario Party playlist from last weekend because I had a, a oh, birthday, yeah, for your birthday. I, I had yeah. a birthday party and it was Nintendo themed and naturally and I just had Nintendo music and it just matched perfectly with just Mario music and Mario Run yeah 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 the uh, yeah the music things are cool I like how they put the little headphones on the characters and each had their own custom pair and I guarantee you those would be merchandise you can buy somewhere within a year yeah I mean they did it for Splatoon so. yeah I mean they have Mario M's on the Mario ones they're like Beats but custom for each character but but i think the smartest thing about the game isn't the music feature which is cool the smartest thing from like a nintendo perspective here is that this mode remix 10 is 100 percent accessible without buying the full game and honestly because it pulls from all of the game and kind of shuffles it in 
I think this serves as a much better sampler of what you get if you pay the $10 for Mario Run than just playing World 1, which is how they used to pitch it for the past year if you download the game. You know, you get three levels, and it's like, do you want the rest of the game? $10. Now they're like, here's everything the game offers, but really rapid fire. Do you want to experience depth in all of this? Pay us up. Pay up. And you can tell this is kind of what their intention was, because in the bottom right corner of every stage you play in, Re in Remix 10, they actually list the name of the level and its course number. So you know exactly, oh, this is in World 4? Oh, I do want to play World 4. Maybe I should pay. So it took them 10 months, but finally they're addressing the freemium negativity that was in so many reviews when Mario Run came, first came out last year. Because as you may recall, people were like, this isn't really free. I get three levels and that's it? Ugh. But now it's like, well, no, here's a full mode, a full game you can play and unlock stuff and do whatever. But I if mean, you want theory, more you could beyond experience that, the whole game, just not yeah. back to back. And in very small pieces. Yeah. But yeah, so it's, it feels more like a true freemium game. And the thing that most impresses me most about Remix 10 is not just that they smartly made this demo mode that's really smart, that's really like well done, but it's just a lot of fun even if you already bought the game. Like we own the game and we're liking it. Like it's just, I think it's the rapid fire. They got feel. me to re-download it. Yeah, it did. I think I think it's the rapid fire feel. Honestly. Like I think part of it isn't. It's not so much Enough that Pokemon like, Go Disney's to give us a remix. Just wait till a your remix mode, mode comes in. Where you can put your own music, even though I guess you technically you can. You could technically do that right now. Yeah, but it's not the same when it's in game. I mean, the option. You just like you just want Pikachu to have Pikachu headphones. Yeah, I mean, you give every Pokemon you encounter headphones, and that would actually get imagine the merchandising. Done. But yeah. no, what I was gonna say is like it's not just the the rapid fire thing about Mario Run that I think is impressive. I think it's the the fact that the game has shifted to being like they removed the focus on failure. Now, that's not my worrying. That is something that Takashi Tezuka, the game's producer, said in an interview on the App Store. Which, by the way, how weird is it that iOS 11's App Store has, like, full articles with interviews with developers that are, like, multiple paragraphs long? <laughs> like, it's cool. It's really cool. But it's like, why is there a magazine in the App Store? But regardless, he said in that interview, um, well, I think it's a really good point that, like, the thing with Mario Run, its core mechanic before was kind of this idea I sort of was alluding to this before where you always keep going back over and over and over to get those three coins you memorize every course's layout you memorize mm -hmm. everything for the purple coin and the black coin and the game became this kind of rote memorization thing where the second you fail you restart because you know oh coin one's here coin two's there I need to make sure I hit those two or if you, you know if you miss the third coin they just keep doing it over and over it's the exact same gameplay over and over and at the time a year ago I said that's a nice way to kind of artificially boost replayability because you want to get all the coins and everything. But as time went on, I feel like it just got more frustrating than fun. I feel like the reason people stopped talking about Mario Run is either they got all the coins and they were done because there's no replayability once you memorize the coins or they just gave up because it's like, I can never reach that coin. I don't want to try for the like 27th time right now and then just stop playing. What Remix 10 does that's really clever is by just taking away the fact that you know what's going on and making it reflex-based it's like a whole new game. It's like a whole different game. And it yeah. complements, if you want the reflex-based stuff, you play uh, Remix 10. If you want the memorization of levels and kind of learning each level's layout and knowing exactly when to jump and all that, you play the main game, which now has an entire new world that is only unlocked through exactly that sort of challenge. You go into special challenges that will be scattered throughout the existing worlds. You beat those challenges. You unlock what they're calling World Star, which as far as I know is not the viral... Web, viral video website but is a mode in oh that Mario was that honestly never really knew I've World heard of Star I've heard of World Star and World people Star, yelling yeah and, World Star yeah it, that's but not I still didn't Mario. really know what it was I, it, yeah it's, it's basically a viral video site that skews towards like hip hop culture more than anything else okay 
But uh, yeah, but yeah. So that's nine here. Although you could play hip hop with the new music feature. But yeah, it um, it just seems like everything's well balanced in Mario Run now. I guess is the best way to put it. Mm. Like they're offering something for everyone now, and that's not to say the main mode's bad. It's not like it's still really fun. It just got it didn't have the replayability that in the long term that perhaps it could have. So so basically, I'm saying this, and I think you probably agree, but stop me if you don't. If you haven't played Mario Run in a while and you're listening to this podcast right now. Maybe you delete it from your phone. I mean, you did that at one point, right? I still don't have it on my phone. Oh, yeah, you had it on your iPad when you were playing it. Yeah. But, yeah, maybe you delete it, whoever you are out there. Now's the time to go back and revisit it. Like, Remix 10 was the one thing missing. It's there now. And not only that, but if you like it, the game is half off at only $5 for a brief period of time. I want to say a couple weeks. So now's the time to check it out. Remix is totally free. It really kind of changed the game. Ha. Huh. Literally. Uh, so I, I would go check it out. It's definitely... It's definitely worth it. It's it's fun. I really really like it. it it's so bite sized. It's perfect if you have like two minutes. Hmm. So, yeah. So that's my run. I will I will say all these adjustments also give me hope for for uh, the Animal Crossing app because Nintendo very clearly listened to the complaints about Mario Run and is literally addressing all of them with this new update. I mean, we got more freemium stuff. We have the price dropped because people said it was too high, at least temporarily. That they're paying attention. So. It feels like this learning process has finally kind of reached its like pinnacle here, where everything's like coming together. Because they learned from you know first Mitomo how not to do things, then they learned with Fire Emblem Heroes how to do like the gotcha system and real in-app purchasing correctly, and do like a real freemium game. And now they're applying some of that to Mario Run. And in theory, all this combined into one big lesson is what the Animal Crossing app will be. So when it comes out. I don't know. If I had to guess, probably uh, Holiday again, like Mario Run. We were supposed to have it this year, weren't we? They originally said in the first half, then they bumped it to the second half. And I'm guessing Holiday now because um, it worked so well for Mario Run. Mario Run sold 40 or down, was downloaded 40 million times in its first few days, and it was the prominent new app on Google and Apple over Christmas, over the holidays when everyone's getting new phones, like all the kids and stuff. It would make total sense for them to replicate that with Animal Crossing. What happened? Who knows? But I think... I think that's probably when we'll see it, and I think a lot of what we are seeing with Mario Run's update is a hint of how they're going to do things in terms of free versus not free and all that with Animal Crossing. So, time will tell. In the yeah. meantime, Mario Run's a nice segue uh, into what we're playing, because it was both news and it was impressions. So now let's just go like pretty full-on into impressions. It's a pretty packed segment. News-pressions. News-pressions. It's a pretty packed segment, the actual impressions, post-new press- in this post-new pression area. Uh, era, I mean, it's pretty packed because you know there's as we mentioned there's a lot of games on Switch now, and as uh, what was I gonna say? Yeah, as we've covered at the top, we also have Metroid to talk about. So we'll start with Metroid, which is 3DS, and then we'll kind of jump over to Switch. Where we have a couple games to talk about, and Metroid. I was gonna be upfront about Samus Returns. Yeah, this is the game that scratches that 2D Metroid itch. This is an itch that I realized the other day actually has been there since Zero Mission way back in 2004 on the Game Boy Advance. Sure, you could argue Other M existed. I mean, our episode's literally named after it. But that wasn't really a traditional 2D Metroid game. I like Other M. But for all intents and purposes, Sans Returns is the 2D Metroid that people have wanted for now 13 years. And to be fair up front, uh, Sans Returns is not a typical Metroid. It's based on, you know, the Game Boy one, and because of that, it's kind of the odd man out of the series. Uh, you're basically sent to this planet, SR388. You're told to wipe out Metroids completely. It's really a game about alien genocide, if you think about it. But if you look past that, 
um, the marker of progress in this game is not, you know, just progressing as you normally would in a Metroid. Instead, it's about finding and killing 40 of these little Metroid suckers and wiping them out of existence. And as you locate them in the world, each is kind of its own boss fight with increasing difficulty, different patterns to learn, but they're all sort of structurally the same and involve memorizing attack patterns and that sort of thing, which, um, you know, they get more and more elaborate as the game goes on. And granted, I have yet to get to all 40, but what I thought was kind of interesting and bit unusual is you're not necessarily guaranteed that each Metroid you fight will be progressively harder. That's partly due to the uh, non-linear nature, but it's also just kind of throws you off your paces a bit because, you know, you'll be like, oh man, uh, there's a Metroid in the next room. I, this is going to be intense. I better like stock up on energy and everything. They go in and surprise, this one's actually one of the weakest ones in the game. Because, you know, just like in the real world, you don't progressively see harder and harder things as you drive around LA. It's not like traffic will get worse at each intersection you go to. That's not how it works. Mm -hmm. So it's kind of, it's kind of uh, interesting that this Metroid, unlike other Metroids where, you know, each time you hit a boss, it is progressively harder. This one sort of excuse that, which is kind of fun. But what I really like about Sam's Returns is that at its core, beyond the whole fine 40 Metroid thing, uh, you are getting what you want a 2D Metroid to be. You're going around, you're upgrading, you're going back to where you were, you're using those upgrades for new areas. It's everything you expect Metroid to be. But then they combine that with new gameplay elements that kind of make it feel more modern and in some ways almost more streamlined without actually like hurting what a Metroid experience is, if that makes sense. like The most obvious change is probably combat. Um, for the first time ever, I think, in the series, you have full 360-degree aiming if you hold down L. You have a counterattack you can uh, trigger with a quick button press right as an enemy is about to hit you. And they sound relatively like, okay, new moves, whatever. But they kind of make Metroid-y, or Metroid-y, they kind of make Metroid more noticeably action-y, there we go, than in the past. Like, I feel like I used to kind of play Metroid how people probably played Mega Man back in the day. You know, there's an enemy, I keep my distance, there's an enemy that's a little too high, so I would shoot from afar, and then i jump. You know, you do like the shoot, jump, shoot, jump, shoot, jump to make sure, or jump, shoot, jump, shoot, jump, shoot, to make sure that you hit that tall enemy that you can't quite reach if you're Mega Man and you don't want to go too close because he'll shoot you. That's how I used to treat Metroid. Now, though, with these changes, the combat in Sam's Returns is, for lack of a better term, more intimate, I guess, with the enemy. Like, you kind of are encouraged to go up in their face to do the counter, and unlike in the original Return of Samus, or really any Metroid, in the 2D Metroid world at least, these enemies are now going to charge at you as well. So they're really encouraging more action-y like clashes opposed to shooting from afar doing the jump shoot trick that I used to do in the old two, like the olden days. Um, and if you do pull off the counter, it is very satisfying. It is oddly satisfying. I think it's, it's I think it's because perhaps when you do the counter, it's almost like doing a double tap in a first-person shooter because not only do you counter, but then if you hit shoot right after it, auto locks on the enemy. So it's kind of like a bum bum like two step thing that just feels really gratifying like a double tap or it does so that there's that and then um what's even more gratifying is when you're fighting big metroids or or bigger or boss metroids or bigger enemies i guess a better way to word that is that um sometimes it triggers a cutscene. so you'll do your auto counter thing you know you'll run up you'll hit counter you'll do the all lock but then it cuts to a cutscene and Samus like jumps on top of them and shoots them in the head with a missile or something it's just like really like yeah go samus it's very it shows her badass aspect more than most metroid games do which is kind of cool but um if you choose to keep your distance the 360 aiming also helps with that and that there's this nice touch where the pointer has like a laser pointer and it actually changed from green to red when you have an enemy 
correctly aligned with it. So even if the enemy's off screen, I've done this a few times, if you want to try and play like long distance Metroid like it used to be, you can still do that and it actually sort of cues you up for it. But you won't get very far if you do that. In some instances, yeah, you can shoot from afar. But you really can't treat combat like old school Metroid in this game because now that enemies charge at you when they see you, you need to really just constantly use that counter, and you're very in, it's very in your face compared to old Metroids. Uh, so for some old school purists out there, that may be a bit of a downside. I don't know, but I I personally really like it. Um, another aspect I like is this really subtle kind of guiding hand in the game, because I mean one, haha, I suck at games, right? Yeah, we all know. Okay, anyway, but no, uh, the the thing that I find kind of cool about this is if you need the help it's there it's nothing overt unless you want it to be but the inclusion of the always present map where you could drop pins on it you know on the lower screen at all times couple that with uh the metro dna drop-off points every time you defeat an enemy you go to these drop-offs those points if you go back to them will give you a hint of where to go next and then couple that with um this the aeon ability called scan pulse that lets you literally press a and it will show you all adjacent rooms on the map kind of flash them for a second and in this, in your world that Samus is in, light up the weak spots in the room that will get you to those rooms, like what you need to shoot or whatever. All that combined lets you, should you choose to use it, sort of guide you where you need to go. So if you're stuck in the maze, there is a way out without having to turn to game facts or something like that. And I'm sure there's some old school Metroid fan out there who's saying like, wait, but what's the challenge of the game? Isn't it supposed to be about discovering on your own and where you do? To which I say two things. One, you don't have to use the abilities. Like I said, it's all optional. And if you choose to ignore the map on lower screen, if you don't use the pin drops, if you don't use the Aeon ability, you're getting a pure Metro experience through and through like what you're used to. And two, just because it's not challenging in how you navigate the world doesn't mean there's still not challenge to be had in the game because it's still pretty difficult. They added that Aeon system. Like I mentioned the scan pulse. It also has other things you can trigger. I think there's four of them in total that do other things like beef up Samus's offense or defense. And in those situations, you actually need to do that for boss fights and whatnot, and then juggle managing that with managing your missiles, with managing your health, with managing all that, because much like those, it has a limited bar of how many times you can do whatever Aeon ability you need to do. So you're not necessarily having a challenge of exploring the world, but you are having this challenge of Samus management on a level that hasn't really been seen in a Metroid before. So yeah... Perhaps Samus Returns is a bit more action-y, and perhaps it provides a little more guidance through its world than other Metroids did. But ultimately, it's still very Metroid to me, and I'm having a lot of fun with it. Like, I personally like the New Balance gameplay. I think the, um, you know, the, the, the shift towards action and still letting you do the exploration, but also helping if needed. A little Breath of the Wildy in that regard, but I think it really makes it feel a little more modern while still being, like, Metroid. And again, it just also looks really cool. I don't think I touched on the 3D yet, but like the 3D effect is really nice. It's probably one of the final first party Nintendo games to have stereoscopic 3D, and it, it works, which is like it works really well. And it's ironic given the fact that this is a 2D Metroid, and it might be one of the last truly stereoscopic Nintendo games ever. But go figure. But uh, yeah, really, if you're a fan of any level of Metroid, I recommend checking it out. I'm sure someone somewhere won't like the shift towards action and the you know rearranging of priorities in the gameplay a bit. But this isn't other M levels of change here, not at all. It's still incredibly thoroughly Metroid through and through, and it is a solid return to form for the series. And I did not mean that as a pun, but I now realize that sounds like a pun. Return mm. of Samus. But anyway, yeah, it's it's really fun, is my point. So it's you know, it's it's you can really just sum it up as, Yup, it's Metroid, 
But if you look a little deeper at more subtle levels, the the shift towards combat's an interesting one for sure. And it's it's reminiscent of like when they move, you know, Zelda in a new direction or something like that, where it's still very at its core feel, or Mario even, where it still very much feels like that game you love. But there's some little nips and tucks and little tweaks and little differences that actually make a bigger impact on the game than you may expect. So so I enjoyed it a lot. If you're looking for something that doesn't feel quite as familiar, though, one game that both um, Andrew and I have been playing is this German-themed Neon Soap 2D spear-throwing game on Switch called Leichtspear Double Spear Edition. And um, probably one of the more unique... Play single player first before you play double. Yes, it's probably one of the more it, unique. Things will make more sense. <laughs> yeah, so we did co-op first and then sort of went back to single player. And single player really sort of lays out... is like the lay of the land for you and then you do co-op it makes a lot more sense yeah because you were like yeah because i remember we were playing um well we were playing multiplayer and every time you miss like we knew like there was some sort of cue that ha- went out when you missed but it wasn't really overt like it was kind of subtle yeah and then after a while we just like kept missing and then at some point you're like wait i can't throw spears anymore what's going on because you're you're penalized if you miss too many times yeah but then when you're playing a single player it makes it clear why you're penalized yeah so so to back it up now, I don't think very many people know about Leichtspear. It's been out for about a month, but I don't know. It hasn't gotten a ton of attention. So I think just to explain to people what this thing is, perhaps the best way to sum it up is uh, it's Yoshi's store or it's Yoshi's Island with a it meets like a horde mode. Or if you've played Defend Your Castle way back in the early WiiWare days, it plucks out elements from that. Like it basically, you have a character that stands on the far left of the screen, at least at the start, and then hurls waves of spears at enemies charging at you. They come by land, they come by air, they literally come by sea. And you have to aim the trajectory of the spears you're throwing, which is indicated via a dotted line, just like Yoshi's Egg. And then depending on the arc that you have, you hit the enemy or you don't. And there's different enemies at different heights and different enemies of different types. And you need to sort of figure out the trajectory. Yeah, and go for headshots because they're like insecure. Right, exactly. And after a certain number of waves of these enemies, which, you know, the wave count varies from stage to stage, you then move on to a different screen where you face another onslaught and you kind of rinse and repeat this over and over across 13 levels that contain multiple screens and have boss fights that sort of strip away a lava. It's just you, the boss, no special abilities, and occasionally enemies kind of throw you off your game. Really, it's a relatively simple premise. It leans very heavily on replayability for high scores. It's very much in the style of old arcade games. But uh, there are stuff like you kind of mentioned, like the more enemies you hit in a row, the higher your combo. The more headshots you get, the higher your score. Uh, the but but if you find this like rhythm to it, you kind of fall into like this twitchy trance almost. Where it's just like you just hit headshot after headshot, Emmy after Emmy, just keep nailing it. It's like yeah, you're like in it, and it's actually really like in those moments, it's really good because it just feels like right. Like it's that definitely happened when we were playing, and I was doing like every. Remember, I got like. A ton of headshots there. I'm just like, I don't even know how I'm doing this anymore. Yeah, but of course, as soon as you start when, thinking when, about it, when you when you see the multiplayer, yeah, yeah, and and uh, the impact of the hits in particular, like they really like give you an oomph. Yeah, like when they land, it's like, poof, yeah, and, and there's a nice like gore to it. <laughs> there's yeah. like blood spilled, and it's and really it, and like, yeah, and, and and it makes sense. I mean, overall, like the game is a very simple premise. You're just throwing spears at yeah. waves of enemies. Like there technically isn't much to it, but that's why they have to like up the presentation which... well I think I think there is some hidden depth there because I mean we played co-op oh no I mean, yeah. I mean I mean, beyond like you're just throwing spears oh yeah yeah you're totally just throwing spears but yeah the, like the presentation is it's the, t- the personality of this game 
is just like totally out there and yet it really works. I mean, you could, play as Hans. you could play as any number of traditionally German named women or men, including Hans and um, Gretel, and Gretel and Martha. I don't know how that's German, but Martha is one of the names. But you pick you pick these people, and the premise is basically that this German god, the Life God, is really bored and wants to watch people throw spears at bad guys. So he hires Hans and or not hires, but forces Hans and Gretel and Martha to go throw these light spears for him and it's all set in what the developers call and i quote an ancient germanic future which is a bit of an oxymoron but i assume it was intentional but yeah and uh you kind of go through and you just do these tasks for this god you just keep throwing spears and throughout the game he's providing you know uh commentary shall we say he shouts things when you miss he shouts things when you make things he's just kind of always there and just the the whole vibe of it is just so like over the top. I mean, the enemies range from typical things like zombies and wizards to giants that are dressed as hipsters to cyclopses to Vikings who are also penguins to walruses to it. It's kind of nuts. Like it just keeps going the list and <laughs> the music and the music. Yeah, especially when you combine the music with the shouting in German, it's just intense because the music is like '80s hard or not even '80s. It's like hard it's like hard synth German techno. And then you got that going on. You got the life god shining at you. You've got this really bold, like '80s neon style where everything's like very heavy on the pink and the blue. And it's all kind of vector arty, and it, it's a really cool look. And you know, like I said, there's thumping techno going, and it all comes together in this really unique look and feel that works really well for the game and makes it feel like more than just you're throwing spears all the time, which in and of its own self can can be pretty fun, if, especially if you get in that trance, which the techno helps with. But yeah, it's just like this insane. <laughs> this weird mix of things and the 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 thing that's actually most impressive is there's actually some depth beyond much like any good arcade game there's some depth beyond just you're throwing spears to crazy german techno in a weird world of hipster giants like it starts with you standing in the far left of the screen and you're constantly throwing to the right but soon enough you end up getting moved around the screen sometimes you're in the middle and you have enemies not just coming at you from the right but from the left from the top from the bottom they can be in guard towers shooting at you they can be you know, you have a boss fight, and it's two bosses, one on each side of you fighting you, and it's just like, it gets intense. And at that point, you need to start using the other major aspect of the game, which is the power-up system. And the power-up system, you can do things like slow down time, turn your own spear into a bunch of spears when it fires, um, gain a, a temporary shield, and all that becomes kind of critical, and you can actually upgrade each of those things as you go through the game to make them more powerful. And then just to really mess with you as soon as you get to a boss fight they take away all the power-ups the boss fight is strictly skill based so if you think you just coast on power-ups that you rank up no you actually need to really get the rhythm down with doing your trajectories right and yeah and that. it definitely shows because i remember there was one boss that we came up against that yeah. jason and i like it pretty much destroyed us. we were like wow oh yeah like, it was, like, it was this boss slaughter. takes like forever to kill it. but then the second time around we well before before we died, we figured out where his weak point was, yeah. and then we literally just aimed for it, and he died like in less than twenty seconds. But it took us a minute to get oh, yeah. to figure that out, and we also needed to learn. Okay, it, it felt, yeah, it, it felt good. It, a good it, puzzle. It, it wasn't like oh that boss sucked. It was like oh cool. Yeah, and and the it thing about just... co-op is so co-op is actually new to the Switch version. This game's been on other systems, but for double spear edition, appropriately enough, double spear. I control two a wiener dog. Yes, yeah, so you controlled a, a flying wiener dog, mind you. Yeah, and he uh, that dog shares the same power-up cooldown period as the main character. That's kind of the interesting thing about co-op, is like, obviously you're both throwing spears, they up the enemy count for that, but what I didn't expect that kind of was an interesting wrinkle in it is we have to coordinate our power-ups because we each we use the same it. pool. Now, the dog has a special one that clears the stage, 
Yeah. You only can access that power up unless you equip it yourself later on through co-op mode. Like you can't it's not just always there like it is in co-op mode. And that can come in handy, but you do that and any other power up we have is basically moot for a while. So it there's actually like a weird strategy you have to do when you're sitting there in your trance throwing your spears and later in the game it gets real crazy because there's like teleportation things and all sorts of other stuff and you have to kind of coordinate okay you throw spears i'm going over here like it gets you know i'm gonna move us over here but keep throwing but you need to throw left now like it get it gets kind of nuts so i guess the takeaway here is there's actually a lot of meat on this bone so to speak it's, it's a pretty dense game that's not even including the fact that there's an achievement system and you can unlock medals and there's like all this other stuff encouraging you to go back and keep playing beyond just the high score and yeah for a game that's so simple in concept there i'm impressed by how much is in here the achievement thing's actually kind of funny. Um, they were doing... The developers of Lightspeed were doing a Reddit AMA. And they alluded to Nintendo... Develop, not even alluded. They outright said Nintendo's developing some sort of system-wide uh, achievement and leaderboard system for Switch. Which is the first I think anyone's heard of it. I'd be down for something like that. I mean, Miiverse stamps on Wii U were kind of that, right? Yeah, but uh, yeah, but this would be more of a universal thing, and it almost sounded like like the con the context that came up in I think if I remember correctly was they were asked if there's some sort of you know what sort of achievement or high score system there is in Lightspeed, which has its its own self contained thing, but if ultimately that hooks into a broader one that works you know system wide and people are trying to get all the trophies, Lightspeed could get a second win because this this game is totally made for that sort of environment. So it'll be interesting to see what happens, but. Achievement speculation aside, uh, the whole game just feels really at home on Switch. Like, obviously, the new co-op is a natural fit, you know, because two controllers around the system. But even the core gameplay is just like a really good match for a portable system because you know you can do a level here, a level there. You can throw some spears for ten minutes and call it a day. Yet, if you want to go a little deeper, if you want to really work the power power up system, if you really want to go for high scores and keep playing and really try and get that high score, docking on the TV is a great way to do it. So yeah, it's it's a, it's a fun twitchy game it's uh really wacky in personality but it works very well so if you want something a bit different or something from the ancient germanic future as the developers put it um yeah i recommend checking it out it's one that's definitely flown under the radar a bit but it's 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 different but in a good way yeah now separately from that we've also been playing or you mainly i think have been spearheading this one another party game there's so many in fact jackbox party 4 comes out in like two weeks now and we're gonna like that's four jackboxes in six months just think about that or four months i think but you've been playing one that's sort of like a riff on how jackbox works but it's kind of its own thing yeah i use your words I, right i wanted this one on the wii u but the wii u was already dead and so. it's called use your words in case yeah it's called use that. your words yeah. yeah it's very much a jackbox game you log into a website you it's you play from any smart device any computer tablet and Unlike Jackbox, where you have a collection of games and you pick which one you want to play, this one has, I believe, five different games. Oh, actually, it's four different ones, and it just shuffles between them. Actually, I shouldn't even say shuffled. It just goes through each one of them twice. Yeah, it does a loop. Yeah, it does a loop twice, and then you have a different one at the end to close it out. And it's pretty fun. I really like the fact that it shuffles them because it just changes the gameplay pretty fast between them. That's what I feel that's what makes it the most unique. Outside of the games themselves just being pretty fun and funny just because um i mean in jackbox like there's a few winners there's always some that aren't i mean i wouldn't say there's ever a loser there's just some that aren't that great there's some that are weaker than others yeah actually exactly weaker like the four i mean there's one the one that usually starts you with is um subtitle where i'll show you a foreign film 
Mm-hmm. And then it'll have some dialogue and it'll sh- show you a subtitle, but then there's a part that's blanked out where it says, insert your own subtitle here. And, like, chaos ensues. So <laughs> It's like the back of the box. <laughs> yeah. Like chaos ensues. And, like, depending on who you're playing with, obviously things can go from, like, super funny and appropriate to very inappropriate. Like, to we're, racist. To not racist. naming names. It's almost Angel. Like, no, no, I'm kidding. You're not. <laughs> not, not if anything, the last time we were playing, um, we were just teething Jason on his Apple Watch. Almost every answer was related to an Apple Watch. Every time I play this with any group of people, it always becomes about me, which I'm honored, but also, like, can it not be about me? And the answer is no, it cannot. It's always about me. Continue, yeah, please. Better or worse. Yeah. So that was subtitled. Then the next one is... um. This one's pretty funny. It's where it shows you a picture, like a really random, weird picture. Like sometimes it just has a cat on a keyboard or it has a man which will, which with what looks like paint splattered all over him, but it's like black and white. Mm-hmm. And then there's like another one where it's like a, like a woman just holding her like forehead like she just got hit by something. I don't know, just a bunch of weird pictures. And then it just says, add a headline. And then I'll add it, and then I'll do the whole spinning like newspaper yeah, thing. old school newspaper spin. And it's just whoever you think had the funniest headline. What's interesting about this is they also throw in a fake one. Like, they have pre-written ones. Oh, yeah, a house answer. Yeah, a house answer. And you can usually tell what they are, but sometimes if your friends are lame enough with their humor, it actually gets kind of tricky to figure out which is the house answer. Yeah, there were definitely a few that um, we couldn't figure out. Yeah. And then there was another one where you just had to fill in the blank. There was like a... Was it a comic strip or something? No, it, it looks like an old... Um, I guess it's like an old computer. It just has like a sentence and it just has a blank and you just fill it in and oh, that's right. also just pretty fun. Right. And for those who have never played a game like this, like one thing to know is it's really easy to play because basically the the Switch is a conduit for everyone to enter their answers through their phones. So the Switch is just displaying the host, so to speak, and then everyone's typing their answers. This is true of Jackbox as well. On their phones, just go to a website, enter a room code, and you're immediately playing yeah i mean you don't theory, need controllers you don't need really you don't even need the tv technically if there was some yeah. other way to show like the switch the, game oh uh, uh, yeah like the the switch tablet in kickstand or portable mode i mean in theory if um you're playing with your family through, i mean you could play with your family through skype yeah no it, it works anywhere because again you just log on to a website and enter a code so as long as you have a way for people to see what they need to see and to communicate with one another just for laughs um yeah, it's it's really easy to play, which is something that's really cool about Switch. They have a lot of games like this now. And granted, you could do it on any system, but a system that's multiplayer heavy like Switch, being able to have all the Jackboxes, being able to have user words, these sort of super party heavy games, and then couple them with more traditional games, and you've got not just a Switch party night, but a whole like Switch party weekend. It's it's really nice. Yeah, I would definitely recommend this if you're just looking for more party games, like for your friends and family it's different enough from jackbox if you have jackbox and have played jackbox this is still a fresh unique experience yeah it's definitely smaller like there's less to offer here like maybe yeah. after like two or three plays you're probably like ready to move to the next one as you would any i guess of the individual jackbox games yeah but it's also a little cheaper i think this one is like 14.99 and jackbox is usually 20 20 bucks or 30 even no it's 20 bucks but if you already own any of the previous Jackbox games, Jackbox 1 and 2 were some amount off, like 15% off or something. Pretty yeah, much like yeah, that's true. And the same goes for Party Pack 4, I believe, mm-hmm. which I can't believe they're already at 4. I mean, there's just so many of these. Well, keep in party. mind, 1, 2, 3 came out over many years on other systems. They've just oh, no, well, well, them out, I mean, so. I mean, like, well, I guess more specifically, I can't believe there's already this many parties on the Switch, as you said earlier. Oh, yeah, yeah. No, it's great. Of, of this type of game. Like, I yeah. remember we were saying, like, oh, these kinds of games are perfect for the Switch, and now we have now five basically by the end of the year let's bring the episode full circle again how crazy is it that the switch is this 
doing this well with this many games of all I mean, types of varieties worked, this early I mean, in its life. It's those would have made so much sense for the Switch. I mean, for the Switch, for the Wii U. But, but no one bought the but, Wii U. Yeah, but they yeah. just never came up. But it's just like we're in this perpetual cycle where games are going to lead to more games. I got to lead to more games, and it's yeah. great. And I mean, the next one apparently has one called like Monster Meeting Monster where you're playing like a dating sim where you're like huh. a monster trying to date other monsters, but the other monsters are your friends and family, but you don't know who's who. Interesting. And but don't ju- just to be clear, yeah. don't yet don't let us talk about the Jackboxes necessarily overshadow. Use your words. Oh no! Yeah, it's yeah. it's a good game, no, right? and was, I do yeah. like that. Like it said, it, itself. Yeah, yeah. And, it, and it's unique enough. Like I mean, I really like. It's the complimentary. Sub- you should get yeah. Both, the subtitle one, I it's definitely my favorite one. I just yeah. like that they did that. I mean, yeah, it's just such a like. I kind of wish Jackbox did that to be honest. The I whole know, like exactly. couple, like they should have like a party mode where you just pick a what shuffle. you want or a shuffle. Yeah, even. but but I guess the thing is that a lot of theirs um theirs are longer. Though. Yeah, the way they designed them, it wouldn't really work. These this one was smart to just like create these very concise. Yeah, I mean, I guess if they wanted, they could figure something out where it shuffles, but I feel like they would have to create something else. One thing I think, use if your anything, words, I hope use your words makes a sequel with maybe, more, yeah, more games or just different games. It could be the same amount. One thing I actually want you uh, to commend user words for is that it doesn't take so long with its narration. Jackbox oh, is yeah. very proud of its personality. Jackbox's uh, successor, spiritual successor, if you don't know Jack, which anyone that's played that in the '90s or now knows, that's a trivia game where it's like. I'm a crazy host, and I'm going to talk through the whole thing and drag everything out and make jokes that you're going to hear a few times over because you're going to play this game a lot. And it's really fun, and the jokes are usually funny, but you got that narrator that's, like, talking for five minutes before each question. Use your words does not do that. Yeah. It just sort of throws you in. So it's a lot more rapid fire, which works in its favor, I think, and helps distinguish it a little. Yeah, unfortunately, we did suffer a few crashes, and we were like, wait, what's Yeah, it's going a little on? buggy, but I'm sure they're looking at it. I don't know. Yeah, maybe we can file a report with them somehow. Can we? I don't know how that works. I, don't know. I might uninstall it and reinstall it. That could help. Yeah. yeah, but yeah, it's still a good game. It's it's the Switch is just in a great place right now, really. Yeah, and it's just gonna continue being a great place because like two weeks, three weeks from now, Mario Odyssey. The good place. That is a show on NBC starring Kristen Bell and some dude. Some dude. Who's there? I forgot. Something dancing. You knew it. I did. Anyway, we don't really have any tangents this episode compared to no, the last we, one. No, I mean, we, we just, we, you're right. There's no Cold Stone conversation. I mean, I, I had a coughing fit at That's one true. Point. Yeah, we were pretty just direct and to the point. Yeah. Nintendo direct. But, and we will, well, we'll see what happens next episode. Because next episode's a whole hodgepodge of things. Because we have, I mean, right. this, I'll have my uh, SNES Classic by then. So I'm going to have full impressions of that. Plus, specifically, Star Fox 2, which I'm really excited to try and just, like, play a piece of game history. So expect impressions of that if you're planning to tune in. The Nintendo World Championships are on October 7th, this coming Saturday. That's before our next episode. Our next episode is October 15th, a week later. If anything's announced there, we're going to have all the news about that. I still think a Smash Bros. trailer is going to happen. I think they're going to tease Smash. I really do. Someone's listening to this on October 8th and like, you're wrong. They didn't do anything. But I'm as of October 1st or September 30th when we're recording this, they will have a Smash Bros. trailer. <laughs> But yeah, I feel like we should make a wager on it. You want Cause to? Because I, I don't think they will. You want to? I think it's too soon. But to tease it for going into the holidays, like and smash next year. Yeah, it makes too much sense too. Hmm. I just, you I just want to bet five bucks? I, I, five I bucks. want to be five bucks. Uh, that's, that's One dollar. Like, not exciting enough. Not exciting enough. I... Lick multiple switch cartridges back to back. Damn, you just like took it up to eleven. I was yeah, gonna I say did. like well, lick... a spicy chicken sandwich or something from Chick Fil A. But I mean, those are just delicious. What's the stakes there? And five bucks is just great. Okay, fine. Two cartridges. Three. No, we'll do three. Okay. If you want to shake on this, the bet will be... See, this is what you guys get if you listen to the very end of the podcast. If Nintendo shows a Smash trailer at the World Championships on October 7th, our next episode, October 15th, you lick 
three back-to-back Switch cartridges, or the same cartridge three times. I don't even have three Switch cartridges. I have... Oh, I don't want you to look my cartridges. Okay. Yes, you do. I don't. Well, you collect the same one in different spots. Whatever. Have, you have to do three full licks. How about that? I have Breath of the Wild, and... I do, have Binding of, difficult. I do have Binding of Isaac, but it's not even open. It's Fine, three full because licks. Because we downloaded it. Three full licks, regardless of if it's the same or a different cartridge. Just three spots. If they don't show a Smash trailer, I do three full licks. And we do it at the top of next episode. Yeah, just like each one of your games that you've played for less than five hours. No, it's only three. It has to be <laughs> equal because I may have played more. than. No, actually, all the cartridge ones I've probably played. But let's not look <laughs> into that. Let's wrap this up. But anyway, do you want to do that Friend for Jason that? on the Switch. Do you, you, wanna, you, you <laughs> Yeah. Do you want uh, to um, shake on this? Are we doing this? Sure. All right. The lick challenge is on. That sounds inappropriate. Uh, but yeah, so you now you definitely have to tune in, everyone listening, October 15th to see what's going to go down. Um, you can make sure you don't miss it by subscribing to us on iTunes, Google Play Music, Stitcher, Podcast Act, Pocket Cast. The list goes on and on. Are you on making and on. some of these up? No, these are all real. Dude, we're on a lot of things. And uh, we're going to try and get on more. So if your app doesn't have us, let us know and we're going to get ourselves on your app. Well, then how are you listening to us? That's a whole other question. But anyway, <laughs> um, yes, yeah, so subscribe to us on those. You can follow us on Twitter at Random Town. Make sure you don't miss it. You can follow us individually on Twitter. I am JSR7. Angel is Wero, W-E-I-R-O underscore O. And I'm pretty sure at some point on October 7th, we'll have going to tweet like, damn it. And we'll have going to tweet like, yes, because we'll know if Smash happened. But actually, I'll be at a Foo Fire concert. I don't even know if I'll know. But regardless, we'll be back in two weeks' time. Someone's looking at cartridge. I'm talking about these uh, SNES classic, yes, SNES, and it's going to be a grand old time. So we'll see you then.